VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, December the 22nd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing the final show for 2023, so we're looking forward to speaking with you on a topic of your choosing. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air. 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So you never know what the final show this season is going to bring. You know, given the fact we're heading into the holidays, the hustle and bustle, people running around trying to finish off their their duties and their errands and chores before they hopefully settle into some peaceful, restful time over the season. But now we can take on anything, from the biggest and heaviest issues to stories of Christmas traditions to uh, bringing Christmas greetings to family and friends who maybe are not close by this holiday season. So whatever you want to talk about this morning, I'm completely into it. I've convinced myself to not mail it in on this final episode for the year, so let's get at it. All right. Good night for Dawson Mercer. It's been a bit of feast or famine for Dawson this year. Had a really slow start, then he got hot, and then he was been quiet for the last number of games, and he had a couple of points last night. His eighth goal, and he six assists for 14 points on the year in 31 games played. And, of course, Dawson would have played in a couple of World Juniors. The World Junior Team Canada, they kick off their uh, last two warm-up or tune-up games before they enter into the big tournament beginning on, of course, Boxing Day, December the 26th in Gothenburg, Sweden, where they take on Finland. But they got Switzerland tonight and the American Americans tomorrow night, so I know I'll be cozying up to a few of those games for sure. Okay. You never know what's going to latch on to people's uh, mood and they want to uh, comment on and the feedback and pushback and opinion sharing on whatever issue under the sun. And on this one, it's handshakes in minor hockey. It's remarkable just how popular those posts were when I had a little scroll through Facebook yesterday afternoon. People are chiming in. And I saw people who were posting some of the messages from Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador who had never played in their life, have no children in the game, but they're talking about it and thinking about it like a societal issue. They're not wrong. So for those of you who don't know, which is probably nobody, Come the new year, there'll be no handshakes after the game in minor hockey, but only for the boys. The girls are going to continue to shake hands after the game. So this really feels like a self-inflicted wound for Hockey Newfoundland to me. I get that they're trying to temper down on some or curb some of the issues that they've seen in some of the handshake lines. Apparently, a couple of these incidents have spilled out into the parking lot. But if the serious incident in a parking lot was really the straw that broke the camel's back here, not shaking hands doesn't mean that they're not going to take it into the locker rooms, in the parking lot, in the playground, or in the park, because this is, you know, one of the levers available to Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador, but it seems to me unnecessarily pulled. One of the keys is, look, there's a couple of things. So some parents are completely out of control. Some coaches have absolutely zero control of their players. So as opposed to deal with the folks who are actually causing problems and suspending them or banning them, whatever the case may be, now everyone is painted with the same brush. So hockey has long had a bit of a problem in the public sphere about the way it's perceived. You know, the levels of violence and some of the foul-mouthed players, and I admit I let a few cusses and a few oaths go when we played. But this just makes it look even worse than it probably is. 
I would imagine these handshake line scuffles are more remote than they are popular. So I don't know if they're going to take the time to revisit this. And now you got the female hockey players thinking, wait now, we played a pretty intense game too, so now you're painting us as the lesser than hockey player. Women's games can be pretty intense. Of course, when you feature body contact in the boys' game, it does bring upon maybe some more intense emotions when you see one of your buddies get steamrolled or what have you. But... It does speak to the fact that we have a wicked hard time not only trying to help them polish up their skills, improve as hockey players, learn their crossovers, how to two-foot stop, you know, but it's all about playing for the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back of the jersey. And yes, indeed, it's hard to lose when you're young, especially if you're on a team that's getting pummeled every single game, but that's part of it. It really, truly is. You can indeed, with the right sort of parental attitude and the right type of coaching, have a successful, maybe not on the scoreboard, but have a successful hockey season, all the while learning, uh, improving on your skills, and yes, accepting the fact that you don't get to win every single time. Some of this goes back to when all of a sudden we weren't keeping score in minor soccer, so the parents weren't having to console their child. But you know who knew what the score was? Every player on the field. And then we, everyone gets ribbon. You know, sometimes it's nice to be inclusive. It's nice not to want to, you know, stamp on little children's emotions. But having the ability to control your emotion and learning how to lose and learning how to win is absolutely the biggest part of the sport. Let's be realistic. There's going to be 0.00000001% of any of these children are ever going to play anything beyond a bit of junior or senior. So let's see if Hockey Newfoundland, hearing the feedback, understanding that it's more it's not just about a handshake. It's about all of the life lessons that sports are supposed to be there to teach. Anyway, I don't want to beat that, but you know me, being a lover of the sport, I think we've unfortunately now seen it that Hockey Newfoundland has really not done a uh, good service to the hockey players because not every hockey player is willing or wanting to swing a stick or throw a punch or a spit or a foul-mouthed curse at someone with, as they shake hands. I don't mind the pregame little glove tap, but anyway, a couple of better hockey notes before we move on. On this date, 1990, Paul Coffey, one of my absolute faves, became the second NHL defenseman to record 1,000 points. He did it so in a record-breaking 770 games. And on this date in 1996, St. Louis Blues right-winger Brad Hall scores his 26th NHL hat-trick to reach 500 goals in a 7-4 win over the LA Kings with Father Bobby Hull. They were the first father-son combo to record, to each record 500 goals. Alright, there you go. Pretty nasty weather on the province's west coast. So the driving conditions yesterday were treacherous. We saw lots of stories of collisions and vehicles off the road. Apparently the weather is not done with the residents on the south and the southwest and the west coast. So watch your bobber if you're out and about today. And of course, Marine Atlantic, they canceled the morning crossing. Hopefully your loved one who's trying to get home for the holidays makes it in time. And even if you're trying to get off of the island to get to some family and friends on the other side, hopefully you get there. And I see Air Canada. So, you know, travel is pretty dismal at the best of times, but in the madness of the holiday season and the rush on the airports across the country and around the world, it does take a little bit of patience to try to navigate it, to not be too stressed out uh, while you try to get where you're going. But there was a story not so long ago where Air Canada, they had violated the accessible transportation for persons with disabilities regulations. There was a fellow with cystic fibrosis, unable to use his legs, and they didn't help this person disembark the plane. And consequently, and thankfully, the Canadian Transportation Agency has issued a $97,500 penalty to Air Canada for violating that particular set of regulations. So, interesting story. Okay, 
It wasn't all that long ago we heard from folks who are living around or had some attraction to Beothic Lake, wondering how and why Newfoundland Labrador Hydro, using it as a reservoir, was not doing more to ensure that some of the artifacts on the shore were not destroyed by raising or rising water levels. Now, all of a sudden, given the heavy rains in the area, the water levels, someone sent me a video. It's really quite something. They're looking at summer water levels. So Newfoundland Labrador Hydro has mobilized its emergency response team in the area. And if you're in and around Beothic Lake and Central, give us a shout. Tell us what you're seeing. So if this has been a story that's been kicking around for months, now Hydro saying they're doing what they can. The highest risk of flooding is uh, in the next 48 hours. is apparently a sandy point on the west side of the lake. So... It may indeed be unprecedented, but this is not just because of heavy rain in the last few days. It's all about going all the way back months ago where people who had some association with or had a cabin or lived close by Beothic Lake were talking about exactly this. And some of the artifacts have already been lost. And if the water levels continue to rise as they have been, it looks like more of that damage is going to be felt on the shores of Beothic Lake. But if you're in and around that area, please do indeed let us know what you think and what you see. Okay, I had a f- couple of questions yesterday, and people are reacting to the equalization story in different ways. Of course they are, because we're, not, we're all different. You know, some will say that it's, you know, the bleak economic uh, issues here in the province and maybe a failure of the provincial government. Some people are saying, hey, bring on the money. You know, where is the glory and be labeled have or have not? There's a bunch of provinces across the country on equalization, including some of the economic drivers historically, given Ontario and Quebec are on it. So $218 million is coming in the 2024-2025 fiscal year. Okay, bring it on. I'm curious as to how people are uh, absorbing this or digesting this story. But the one issue that I think across the country, the equalization focus really does look at the province of Quebec, and rightfully so. There is no justifiable reason as to why they receive as much as they do in equalization. And you know me, I get taken to task because I don't bash the province of Quebec all the time, even though it is a favorite pastime for many people in the province. We have geographical relations with the province of Quebec. You know, we're negotiating some sort of deal regarding the upper Churchill with the province of Quebec. But the issue, number one, for Quebec, and there has been some minor amendments made to the equalization formula regarding property taxation, how they calculate the population, and some hydroelectric-related matters. But Hydro-Quebec and the province of Quebec, they really do cook the books. So offering subsidized electricity rates to their residents or their customers has allowed them to not show what is the fiscal reality of Hydro-Quebec, and consequently, they are where they are, $13.1 billion compared to $218 million in this province. Nova Scotia is on $3 billion. If Hydro-Quebec was charging market rates to its customers, their equalization payment would go from 13.1 to 5.1. So while there's many premiers that have been calling for referendums on equalization, there are cries coming from this province, including Finance Minister Javon Cody says the formula is broken, and it is. So there's got to be some redress on that front. But if you want to talk about that as it pertains to this province and or how equalization is crafted across the country, let's do it. One important note, not going to single out a certain province, but it's a Western province. Provinces don't pay into equalization. Individuals do. The provincial government doesn't cut a check to the federal government to contribute to whatever the equalization pot looks like. It's just not how it works. But in some provinces, that's how they talk about it. And, of course, that's just not how it goes. All right. Uh, Good on Mark Wilson and others who are trying to continue to be advocates for the folks who are homeless. Not just the whole 10-city conversation, but the reality of homelessness in the province. 
We know we heard from Minister John Abbott that there would be no one living in this tent encampment come Christmas Eve, I think was the cutoff date. I don't know what difference the 23rd or the 24th or the 25th means to someone who doesn't have a roof over their head. But Wilson and others are trying to not only bring attention to and trying to propose solutions, but trying to raise money for exactly that. We've talked about this potential option on the program many, many times. Whether it be more and more tiny homes or these modular temporary shelter model units and or double wide trailers or, you know, multi-apartment uh, duplexes and complexes. But Wilson's trying to raise about $21,000 to bring the first ever one of these units to the province. It makes sense. Now, it does come with some reservations. So it's a repurposed shipping container, virtually indestructible. It's got some pretty fundamental features inside. So it's got a bed, a desk. It's hooked up to the power grid so it can keep people warm. Now, what it also includes is if we're going to bring some of these units in, there's also going to be the need for a communal kitchen and communal bathroom facilities. So where would this even be? You know, I've heard from some people, and I know what they're getting at. They're saying, we're basically creating a modular unit or a temporary shelter model unit, quote-unquote, ghetto. That's not my word. It's the word chosen by one of the writers or the emailers. So how do we do it to ensure that it's, it serves the purpose it's intended to. Simply a safe uh, place for you to be autonomous. A door that's locked, not sharing a room, but you will indeed be sharing communal spaces like kitchens and bathrooms. I think it's a great idea how it gets achieved. And look, this is not reinventing the wheel. In, uh, in Waterloo, Ontario, there are some 50 of these units that are built in one area. In Peterborough, same thing. Apparently, Mr. Wilson is on his way to Ontario for the Christmas holidays. He's going to visit one of these communities to see how it's working up close and personal, which I think is a great idea. All right, uh, what's this scribble? Oh, again, once again, I try to pick up on some of the concerns brought forward by emailers, and this one is about long-term care. There was one family talking about the violence that's been leveled at their father, and, of course, breaks your heart. Then there's continued email concerns about whether it's ongoing issues with mom and dad or nan and pop who have been separated upon entering personal care or long-term care because they have differing and varying medical needs. That's a big one. I mean, it's not as easy as just saying we'll never do it again, as quoted by Minister of Health Community Services, Tom Osborne, but they figured out a way through legislation in Nova Scotia, for instance, to ensure that doesn't happen. Our committee's been struck to look at a variety of the issues uh, associated with personal care and long-term care facilities. Let's hope that that's right up near the top of the list, those two, to look for a way to make sure that we don't separate couples that have been together for decades. Just imagine what that means for their emotional well-being, their mental state, their overall health. So we've got to figure that out. And the stories of violence that we've heard many, many times, unfortunately, this year are really quite troubling. So there's a lot on that front. How are we doing out there, David? All right. Uh, I had a bunch of things I wanted to get to, but that's what I'm like, eh, boy? So let's have a year in review. Whether it be in K-12, and yes, I'm never going to let go of this math, science, and reading score decline, the trend since 2003, and it's really, really a big deal. It's remarkable to me that we haven't heard much from the government on this. You know, it's not to look. If you've only been in power since 2015 and the trend has been in place since 2003, it doesn't mean that you and you alone as the Liberal government have failed the school system. But as the party in power, it's incumbent on you to react to this particular story. It's incumbent on the minister responsible and the entirety of government to understand how we got here. If indeed we have tried to change our tune and how we do uh, 
craft and deliver curriculum and all the modernized way of moving away from standardized testing to where we are today. Obviously, period, between that and the inclusive model, something's not working. The province is falling behind. You know, it's great when you read the news story and they say, well, Canada's still in the top 10. Canada's still in the top 10, but when we look at other countries who we are competing for with all kinds of things, capital investment, jobs in this very small global marketplace, we are falling behind and the decline is steep. In this province, math scores, we've dropped 29 points. 20 points is equivalent to losing an entire year of schooling. So 29, that should be alarming, regardless if you've got anybody in the K-12 system, but we'll take it on. All right, uh, a couple of, one silly one before we get to your call. You know, been a lot of Christmas music on the air here, and people have thoughts on that. And, of course, music is a big part of the holiday season. It's a big part of many people's lives. This story is kind of funny. It was on this date in 1958. Christmas don't be late by the Chipmunks hit number one on the Billboard charts and stayed there for four weeks. Of course, it's written and performed by Ross Bagdasarian Sr., of course, who was David Seville. You know, it varied the tape speeds to produce high-pitched Chipmunk voices. It went on to win three Grammy Awards. The hit is officially named the Chipmunk Song. It became the only, at the time, it was the only Christmas song ever to reach number one and one of the most downloaded digital Christmas songs ever. Also in the Christmas song world, Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree has hit number one for the first time this year. 65 years after it was recorded, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree is number one on the Billboard charts. Wild stuff. We're on Twitter. That's wild. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openlinefvocm.com. And my favorite is when you join us live on the program for the final show of the season. Let's make sure it's a busy one. And in case you're not going to be around for the end of the show and the sign-off, I really do hope, and I know many people will not have a great Christmas season for a variety of reasons, and hopefully people who know you and love you will check in on you and do make sure you're doing okay. And for everybody else who has the opportunity to spend some peaceful, restful downtime with friends and family, especially if you've been in any way, shape, or form a supporter of this program, whether you like me or loathe me, you like the show or hate the show, but have been supporting the show by tuning in, we really appreciate it. We really, truly do. So from my family, David Williams, and everyone here at Stingray and VOCM, I want to wish you personally the very best of the holiday season. Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you for everything you've done for the program. And let's wrap it up with a great show today. We're taking a break, and then we're coming back. Welcome back to the show. Well, this call has a sense of urgency, so let's get to line number 10. Good morning, Paula. You're on the air. Hi. Hi there. Yes, how are you? I'm okay this morning. Thanks. How about you? Well, thank you. What's happening? Well, we were coming down top of the road just past the new dog park and near the old Nissan, and the dog was running down the middle of of the road, and then he kept racing and racing, and some people were trying to get his attention to get him to come over to the curb, but then he started going up Black Marsh Road, and it was a black and white, mid to large-sized dog, kind of looked like a border collie. Yeah, Dave Williams gave me a bit of information about it. The dog's name is Daisy. Apparently, it's a pretty skittish, nervous dog. It it escaped, apparently, from a daycare where the owner had to get to the hospital to be with her father. And as a result, Daisy got away. So if you're in and around the Topsail Road, Black Marsh Road area, and you see this border collie mix that will hopefully respond to Daisy, please grab the dog and then give Danielle a call. And her number is 740-3653. Okay. And I also called... RNC in case they could get someone to help as well. Is there someone in the area? 
Yeah, and when you got a skittish dog, who knows? Maybe some unfortunate interaction with the uh, vehicle might be in place. So if you're out in that area, please keep your eyes peeled. If you see Daisy pull over, see if you can't get her attention. If so, grab Daisy, call Danielle. One more time, her number, 740-3653. Thanks, Paula. You're welcome. Take care. You Have too. Good Same to you. Hope Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, let's keep rolling. We'll go to line number one. Say good morning to a great friend of the show, Christy Allen. Good morning, Christy. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How happy are you that it's the last show of the year? I cannot lie. I'm pretty happy. Yeah, I've been listening to you all week, and I'm like, I think he's pretty excited. Well, <laughs> um, you know. Very well-deserved break coming up. I appreciate that. But for many people, not just, you know, doing jobs like this, it's been another topsy-turvy, tumultuous year. So I imagine there's a lot of people that are not wishing their time away, but looking forward to a little break, a chance to decompress and maybe reset. I know I am, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Chrissy, what's on your mind this morning? Um, I'm calling on a few things, um, but I'll try to be quick. The first is um, I called a few months ago about a fundraiser that we had selling raffle for Taylor Swift tickets, and we uh, raised $38,000. And I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who bought a ticket. Um, That money went to the Jacob Huddister Memorial Foundation, who does amazing work. And it actually went towards directly hiring um, a therapist who was able to uh, eliminate the wait list for evening appointments that they had, people who needed that. And I just, you know, stuff like that is not possible without the community. And I wanted to say thank you to every single person who bought a ticket. They made a difference. And I just believe that everybody who did deserves a shout out. Well, and, uh, you're, yeah. you're, you're not wrong, but I saw the story. We talked about it here on the show. And I think everyone who bought a ticket owes you a big thank you for organizing this and doing what you did. Because you're not wrong. $38,000 is a good shot in the arm for the Jacob Potterson Memorial Foundation. So on behalf of everyone who supports the cause and the foundation and the issues surrounding mental health, we want to thank you. Well, thank you. But I think all the credit goes to the community. But um, for the next thing, I just wanted to say, as you know, uh, that actually was to mark the third year of demonstrating for better access to long-term mental health care in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. And it just so happens that the Mondays fall on Christmas Day and New Year's. And so next Monday on Christmas morning, there's a few of us who still plan to show up and demonstrate. And I know people may say, oh, you can put it off. But it's to make a point that, you know, mental illness does not take a break. It does not have a holiday. And we kind of just want to continue to remind the government. We know nobody will be in that building. We know nobody will be driving by. And we have um, two little things planned that we hope will get a little bit of traction. Um, We don't want to, you know, bum people out on the holidays, but we feel that it's, it's important that the government be reminded about that. So I just uh, also shout out to the people who are coming with me because it's a big thing to come out on Christmas Day. Yeah, you've been pretty committed to it, which is critically important. You know, sometimes there's a bit of confusion out there. You and I have had these types of conversations in the past when people sort of intermix things like mental illness and mental wellness or mental health. And you're talking about long-term access or access to long-term mental care. Exactly what do you mean by that? Are we talking about having the continuity of care with the same therapist or psychiatrist or psychologist? Help people understand exactly what you're talking about when you say long-term. 
Well, I understand that it's complex because I actually think, Patty, that that means something different for everybody, you know. And yes, of course, continuity of care. But I think for people, it's different. I know for me, it means therapy. For others, it's support groups. Um, I know that people within the system are working on specific support groups. I know that LifeWise has, has them. But when it comes to, you know, you have schizophrenia or you have bipolar or things like that, you need people who understand. And I think that there's a huge lack in long-term support groups for people who are looking for peer support in very specific things. I know that you brought attention to the FACT and ACT teams. I think that needs to be advertised way more. I think it is access to long-term mental health care. I think they desperately need to expand that and educate the public on who qualifies for it because a lot of it is really murky and I would love to see the government uh, work on that and of course funding for places like the Jacob Puddister Memorial Foundation. They have a great system in place. They deserve more funding and um, you know a huge thing that has concerns me is you know the fact and act expansion um, it actually has not considered effective for people with borderline personality disorder um, there's a lot to be said around that but there is a specific group of people that I feel are excluded in this who need help and so I know that seems like a complex answer, and I know it's a complex issue, and I have been on consultations about new things coming down the line, and I know that there are people who are working. It's not all doom and gloom, but the government needs to be reminded that they need to continue with these things. They have to implement the suggestions that are coming with people within the system. Of course, as always, there's issues with staffing. They need to look at how they're treating the staff, how they're training the staff, because how are they able to care for people with mental illness if they're burnt out and not okay? Does all of that make sense? It, it certainly does. I'll just break down the acronym for folks who maybe are not familiar with what an ACT team is. It's the Assertive Community Treatment Team. It has a full complement of mental health professionals from psychiatrists, occupational therapists, uh, counselors, there's administrative support. And this is not only about treating people when they're in crisis. It's not just crisis intervention. They actually deal with trying to help you uh, deal with your day-to-day -day activities, making your appointments, you know, interpersonal relationships, I think is one of the quotes coming from it, all the way to hospitalization so basically the clients are have either have I think it's schizoaffective disorders or bipolar or schizophrenia so those act teams are out there and you're right we don't talk about the uh, possibility to use one of these teams if indeed you're one of the folks who are eligible for us uh, for treatment for these and it's a real wraparound service so the act team is critically important exactly and uh, I think we need to talk about you know more funding for that i especially think for the things that are working they need to look at funding that more um you know but then again there's the lack in support groups and of course you know there is the therapy and i really think that another discussion around that is people who are paying tax on that i know for my therapy i pay 15 percent tax on every single session i'm not able to claim that at the end of the year i know there's um legislative everything behind that but again i think that should be sped up and there should be more pressure because i have been talking about that for three years and it gets frustrating so yeah i understand it's complex but 
I just want to keep reminding the government that, you know, these things they have to keep working towards. No question. And, you know, inside of ACT, I'll also point out, they deal with all sorts of housing issues and money management and those types of things. So it's a pretty all-encompassing thing. Do I not recall in the 2023 fall economic statement from the federal government that uh, counseling and psychotherapists and all of those folks who were charging GST will now be, uh, individuals will be exempt? Do I remember that correctly? I don't remember that. Now, I I may have missed that. Um, and if I have, I would love to know because I, I haven't heard that. But I, I will look into that. I'll definitely. confirm that during the break because that, that just popped into my mind. I think there's an HST, GST exemption for a lot of things regarding counseling and, psycho, and psychotherapists and what have you. But I'll confirm that during the break. I don't think there is for counselors. I, they might have added it for psychotherapists. Now, uh, yeah, if you can confirm that, because I'm pretty sure I'm still paying tax. <laughs> okay, I will absolutely do yeah. exactly that. And uh, third item you'd like to talk about this morning, Christy? Um, I just want to say thank you, Patty. I, um, you and Dave are complete rock stars. I know that I started talking about this for three years. I think that you have been instrumental in getting the message out there. I think that people know more about services because of you. I know it's been a long year. You've had long and I'm sure exhausting and emotional conversations that might even get to you. And I just want to say thank you for doing everything you have in 2023. Um, I don't believe that you got enough credit. And thank you very, very, very much. I appreciate the kind words, and everyone appreciates the advocacy you bring to the table too, Christy. So I'm wishing you nothing but the very best, not only over the holiday season, but of course into the future. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much, Patty. Uh, have a great holiday and Happy New Year. Same to you. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. She does a lot of work, man. Talk about a powerhouse. Okay, let's see here. Let's take a break. When we come back, Bram's in the queue. He wants to talk about blood donor clinics or the lack thereof out in Cornerbrook. And then Fiona's uh, in the queue as well. She's out in Millertown. Don't go away. Make a request anytime by calling 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. And your request just might win you a cozy VOCM winter toque. Your Merry Christmas station. Your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Bram, you're on the air. Good morning, Mr. Daly. Good morning to you. I got a daisy here, too, and she's three kilograms. And you know what? She'll find the right rug to pee on every night. <laughs> Bad girl. And, and that's what I was just doing. I got the rug in the shower, and I'm trying to clean it. And I said, did you do that? And she turned that look on, and she turned her head to say, no, I never. Oh, you always know when, they, when she did. So am I speaking with Mr. Churchill? No, Bram Russell. Okay, Bram Russell, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, sir? Nah, not too bad. I'm doing good. Bye, listen, you're doing a fine job, number one. Thank you. Uh, number two is um, I'm a procrastinator. I got to let you know I'm a procrastinator whether, whether I'm, I'm, I, I like the job or not. And I, I don't want to go start the snowblower because it's miserable over here today in Cornerbrook. I imagine it is. Some nasty yeah. pictures. Oh, my God. I just I asked the uncle next door. I said, what's the, ice, the snow like? I said, is it, is it slushy or icy? Oh, my God. Is he needs ice pick to break it up now. So, yeah. Green and warm here. Well, you know what? So you're lucky because... Yesterday morning when you're doing your preamble, I looked out the window when I was doing my workout, and I said, oh, no, oh, no, gravel. And then I said, oh, no, Santa Claus is up there shaking his shaker. <laughs> so it snowed from then right up until 5 o'clock. Yeah, fair enough. So, okay, so I was in to see the op ophthalmologist last week, and I showed her my MCP card. 
And she said, oh, she said, you're a donor. Oh, yes. I said, no. I said, I haven't donated blood in a long time. No, she said, you're an organ donor. I said, well, I got, a, I got a New Year's resolution this year. I said, I haven't given blood since 1979 when I had an accident there. I was terrified of needles like most men. And I said to the girl when I went in, and I was waiting to go at the time, and I said, I want someone who knows what they're doing. She said, okay. So we brought a lady over to work. I don't know, nursing for about 32 years. And she said, I can do it. Anyways, I lay down. She stick, I looked away and she stuck the needle in, walked away. And I noticed people were coming and going and coming and going. I, I, so I called over a nurse and I says, I said, the two benches, one on either side of me, is after having at least four people on each one. And I said, why am I still here? And she looked down and she said, oh my God, oh my God. And I said, I did what, what? And my arm was blowed up with blood. She put the needle right on through the vein, so I was bleeding into my arm. Oh, my God. And, I, uh, and it took me a while, you know, for her to get this straightened away. And when I got up, of course, she said, now, we're going to help you over now. I'll get some biscuits and tea. And I fell on the floor. So it was a long time in there, and I said, I'll never give blood again. That was 44 years ago. So when I was in to see the ophthalmologist, I said to the girl, I said, I'm going to start donating blood. And another girl poked her head around the corner, and she said, well, you better have lots of money. I said, why? She said, you're going to have to fly to St. John's. I said, really? There's nothing in Cornwall, nowhere to get blood. So I'm at a loss. I finally decided, that, you know, to come out of Michelle and get donate blood, and I can't do it. There was, I don't even know if they still do it, they had mobile blood collection units that would make their way around different parts of the province. And I suppose it's a matter of money, Bram, because we hear from Canadian Blood Services all the time, certainly very frequently, about the need for more donors to come into the door on Wicklow Street here in the city of St. John's. So when the need is so real, I don't know if it's more than money as to why they don't have collection units, mobile or otherwise, in other parts of the province, but I hear this concern or complaint a lot. Well, you know, I called into the hospital just to make sure, and the, and the, the person, the operator, answered the phone, and I asked her, asked the man, and he said, he said, listen, he said, you, you know, you're out of luck. I said, I said, you know, it's terrible, but he said, he said, his wife and three other doctors are going to open a clinic here in Cornerbrook, and they were just turned down flat, just like the, the red tape. I said, I don't understand it. And I asked what happened. She said, government. Or he said, government. So, I don't know. It's just... I don't know. I don't know what to do now. I said, I, you know, New Year's resolution. I said, I'll start early, right? I'm going to make my appointment, and no way, I can't do it. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what would be involved regarding the bureaucracy or the red tape or the money or the type of facility required for storage, because it's the same as any other clinic to uh, take blood or collect blood. But I imagine there's a big collection issue regarding red tape. But I'll see if I can figure out a little bit more as to why it seems to be so difficult to expand their offerings across different parts of the province, even if it was done w- just one more out in Cornerbrook, which, of course, would service the West Coast and up and down the Great Northern Peninsula. So it's sure. a genuine concern. Concern, and I get it because, as I say, you know, we run ads on behalf of the Canadian Blood Services all the time. Yesterday was a partnership between VOCM and Blood Services for our uh, annual holiday blood drive. So it's a, it's an interesting uh, question as to why there aren't more opportunities for people outside the, more, the metro area. So we'll see if we get, uh, can't get someone from Canadian Blood Services on to maybe fill in some of those blanks for us. Well, you know, on, on the 25th of uh, December, I'll be 69 and a half. I was born on June 25th. I'm ready to go, and I got the best blood in Cornerback because I'm a healthy man. I seen the doctor. He said, if all the men was like me, uh, you'd probably go out of work because I'm healthy. 
I got the best blood going, and I, it's all so, and it's good for everybody. So I want to give it, I want to do it, but I can't. We're going to invite someone on. Maybe they'll make time for us today to uh, answer some of your questions, Brian. I'm happy to offer. Well, listen, uh, you're doing a fine job, and happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Same to you, Bram. great job. Thanks a lot. Oh, Have a great okay. holiday. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas, Bram. Thanks, sir. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. And he mentioned the organ donation. Uh, I bring this up every now and then. You know, they had a pilot project in Ontario where as opposed to having to go through MCP or used to be like on your driver's license, because how often does anyone interact with MCP, right? Infrequently. So in Ontario, what they did is they made a change to the tax filing form. So there was basically simply a box on your uh, your federal tax uh, paperwork to say, would you like to be an organ donor? And you checked the box. And consequently, as a result of making it as easy as that, there's now 2 million more registered organ and tissue donors on the list. So with the success it enjoyed in central Canada, let's see if we can figure it out across the country. It's so fundamental. We simply add that box to your tax form, you check it, you become a willing donor if you're so inclined, and away we go. All right, let's go to line number three. Good morning, Fiona. You're on the air. Hi, how's it going today? Doing great. How about you? I'm good. Um, I'm Fiona Humber. I'm here in Millertown. I'm on the shores of Beathic Lake. Okay. And I know you put out a call earlier for anybody who's in the area. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to talk about the lake levels. I did get a call from Hydro last night, and he explained that we would be at maximum capacity here in the lake as of this morning, and it's likely to go beyond that. Um and so I just want to say how that's impacting this area. Um, we have some residential properties that are losing some of the last up to a quarter of an acre throughout the years off their property. And we have infrastructure here. Our, our lift station is taking on water. It's up to the overflow. As well as the Beothic sites. I was on earlier this year about the Beothic site that's here on Beothic Lake. and. That's uh, nothing was done with that to prepare for the winter or the the water levels. So that is also getting impacted this morning. So, you know, you say, you say that some people have lost up to a quarter acre of their own personal property. Has it impacted you and your family? Are, are you one of those residents? I'm not one of those. Uh, my property is a little higher, so we're not as directly impacted by the by the shoreline but uh, my brother-in-law is and there's another neighbor up the road there's uh, three or four houses along the lake there that would yet would be a potential to lose some of their property yeah they're talking about sandy point on the west side and buckins landing could also see some flooding so interestingly it's not just because of the heavy precipitation in the last couple of days folks in the area have been talking about the water levels because hydro does have some control and can manipulate the water levels there because it's a reservoir for their operations so you say you had a call from hydro what did they tell you as opposed to simply uh, well, warn you well, they basically said that they've they've tried to accommodate for the water, but it's more than they expected. They didn't expect it to go up this high, and we're going to go over the maximum capacity, and it it probably will have impact on on our infrastructure. We'll see how today goes, but um, if it does impact our infrastructure, we're likely to end up with our sewage going in overflow directly into the lake if it, if it damages our pumps. So that that's an issue, but the people losing their property is is another issue. Residential properties; these aren't cabins; these are homes that people live in full time, 
and and the Beatic site. I mean, that's a, one of the few remaining sites, original sites of the Beatic. It's right on the shoreline and is definitely getting impacted right now. I actually visited that site on December 12th, and the water was going under the roots of the trees at that point, and that was before this, uh, before it came up a meter, which it did yesterday. Can you tell us anything about some of the Beatic artifacts that have already been lost and what kind of jeopardy the current site is facing? Paint us a picture. Um, well, it's hard to say what's already been lost. Um, the one that's up there right now, they they did go up and excavate it a little bit. Now, we've been told that these sites, the real sites, they go deeper and deeper through many uh, layers of history. So there are still, of course, still artifacts up there, I believe, and surrounding the site. And we're, we'd be actively losing those right now because of the shoreline and how it's impacted this morning. I'm really glad that you took up the charge when I asked for people in the area to give us a call on this issue. We're also going to try to get some response from Hydro. Even if they don't, uh, did not anticipate this volume of water or snow to fall, what kind of short-term relief can they find for the water levels? I'm not quite sure exactly how it works, but we're actively trying to figure it out. And Fiona, thanks for doing this this morning. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yes, uh, th- thank you for having me. Merry Christmas to you guys. Now, I just want to say that the water level is just, it was too high for this time of year. It should have never been this high. They know with these climate events that the water goes up more, much more these days when these big storms come through. And it's just too high. They didn't have the space for it. And now that we're at maximum, there's nothing really that they can do aside from let more water out exploits, which then impacts Badger and the communities down the river. Yeah, water is the unstoppable force. Of course, you move it from one place to another, maybe create a problem downriver. Uh, good to have you on the show, Fiona. Thanks for this. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, uh, there we go. Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Unfortunate traffic update. A major collision at the intersection of Majors, Path, and Portugal Cove Road. Police and tow trucks are on the scene. Traffic is really backing up. So if you're planning on heading to that area, maybe give yourself a little more time because they're trying to clean up after a major collision. Okay, let's keep going here. So on the 24th of September in Carbonair, 17 girls right around the province competed in the Junior Miss Newfoundland and Labrador Gala. Audrey Snow was the youngest participant. She's 10 years old. She was the youngest ever to win and the only person who ever went on their very first try. And Audrey Snow, the uh, Junior Miss Newfoundland and Labrador, joins us on line number one. Uh, good morning, Audrey. You're on the air. Good morning. Congratulations. Thank you. So at 10 years of age, why did you decide that you wanted to compete in the Junior Miss? I wanted to compete in the Junior Miss Newfoundland Labrador pageant because I felt like it would be a great opportunity to, like, overcome my fear of being, like, stage fright and that sort of stuff and to get to new, uh, get to meet new people. So when you talk about stage fright, because that's very real for a lot of folks, and public speaking is something that most people are very fearful of, did you do anything to practice to get the nerve up before you competed in Carbonair? Yeah, I, like, practiced and practiced my speech over and over, and my, like, we had to do some speech, a speech and a talent, so I had to practice that. All right, let's talk about those two. So what was your speech about? Kindness. Really? Give us a summary of what your speech said. Um, it was just about, like, how, how things you could, like, 
do you you have to be like kind to people and like it's not like you don't have to pay to be kind so just be kind really well said because it doesn't cost you anything to be kind and when you're kind to others not only do you make them feel good or better but you also feel good yourself right there's a lot of upside for people individually just to be kind and like you said it doesn't cost you anything but when more and more people think like that because generally speaking I don't know what it's like for you and your your friends or your classmates do you find that people are genuinely or generally kind or do you think we should talk about it more because there seems to be a little bit more frustration out there than maybe in years past what do you think I think like a lot of people in the class just be kind because they like they know that they're kind because they're just really kind and what was your talent um gymnastics because I'm in the competitive team in gymnastics and I just really love gymnastics what do you love most about gymnastics because there's lots of things you can be good on the bars or on the on the beam or doing the floor routine what's your favorite stuff Probably floor because I just get to like have emotions on the floor and like to smile at the judges and stuff when you compete. And it's so technical. I mean, if you look at some of the very best, I don't know who your favorite gymnasts are, but when I think about uh, female gymnasts and the floor routine, I think about Simone Biles. To watch her do her business and compete is just mind-blowing. Yeah, some people are really good. Yeah, uh, you know, and the amount of time it takes to be as good as that is really puts in a, a lot of effort is required. And when you mention kindness, Audrey, and I'm glad we talk, we're talking about this, because kindness also can be associated with generosity. So yeah. tell us about how you raised the $2,500 and why you chose the Shriners Children's Hospital to be the recipient of that money. Um, so I raised over $2,500 for the Shriners and did a couple of fundraisers and also went door to door. The people in South River really stepped up and showed their support to me and the Shriners. I am so happy to know that I helped a sick child in our province. Uh, brilliant stuff. So that's why you chose the Shriners because of the work they do with children, sick children? Yeah. Okay. So come with a title like Junior Miss Newfoundland and Labrador is a little bit of celebrity. I mean, let's be honest. When the town of South River, one of the town councillors, how I found out about your win was one of the town councillors from South River talked about having a parade to celebrate your victory. So, and I'm not going to say, do you feel like you're famous, but it does come with a bit of celebrity. How does that make you feel? Yeah, I, I like having a little bit of spotlight. Sure. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. So it's not only that parade that you were involved in. How many other appearances have you done, and what kind of things have you been doing? Um, about 30 appearances so far, and I can't wait to keep going. If any of your listeners would like me to visit their community or event, please reach out. That's terrific. Good for you. So it really sounds like some of your fear of public speaking and some of the stage fright, you may have already accomplished getting over it, have you? Haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, good. Imagine. In your in your school, for starters, at 10 years of age, what grade are you in? I'm in grade 5. You're in grade 5. And how's school going? Good. It's going really good. I really like my teacher. Oh, well, that's important, isn't it? Because if you don't get along with your teacher, it makes for a long year. Is there anything particular yeah. in school that you like more than other courses or subjects? Um, probably my favorite is language arts because you get to, like, there's a book we're reading, and it's, like, it's, it, a lot of mystery and I like finding out stuff at the end. 
Yeah, me too. I read books like that. So do you think yeah. because that's your favorite course, it gave you a leg up or a bit of a head start to prepare your speech? Um, yeah. Yeah. Good for uh, you. We take turns reading in class, and I, like, every time we read, I take a turn of reading. So does that mean you get called up to the front of the class, or do you read from your desk? Oh, I read from my desk, from the book. Okay, great. Well, uh, got any plans for the Christmas holidays? Um, well, every year on Christmas Eve morning, um, me, my mom, and dad all get ready this thing called Pancake Breakfast, and all of my friends come over, and we have pancakes and, like, fruit and um, juice, and we just have fun, and then we get a picture by the tree. Sounds like a lovely tradition. Before we yeah. say goodbye this morning, Audrey, and I really appreciate you making time for me, I've exchanged some emails with your mom about this, uh, this call. Is there anybody in particular you want to thank for helping you prepare for the Junior Miss or people at the pageant or anyone you want to say thank you to or hello to or Merry Christmas to before we run out of time? I, um, I would like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas from myself and my family and everyone at TC Pageants. Hope to see you in the new year. Sounds great. What's the name of your school? Um, All Hallows Elementary. Oh, of course. I should have known that. All Hallows. Audrey, once again, congratulations to you. At 10 years of age, I assume you're going to keep entering the pageant, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, like you would. If I'm allowed. Uh, do you not think you're allowed? No, I think I am allowed. Yeah, I think so. No, no one wanted to because they already had the experience. But I would like to because it's just so fun to meet new people. Yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I've enjoyed uh, speaking with you this morning, Audrey. So Merry Christmas to you and your family. Good luck with the rest of grade five, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. And before we leave, sure. I just want to tell um, anyone who wants to join like next year um, to visit tcp.tcpageants.com for information or to request an information package. Applications will be available March 2024. Terrific. Oh, final question. Do you have any tips for someone who might want to apply to be a participant in the pageant? Believe in yourself is, like, the best thing that you could possibly do because, you, like, just believe in yourself and, yeah. Audrey, I imagine you're going to be an inspiration to a lot of other young girls out there who may indeed take up your invitation to apply to be one of the participants in next year's Junior Miss Newfoundland and Labrador, just like you did. Uh, great to talk to you, Audrey. Have a great holiday. You too. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Here we go. There's Audrey. Audrey Snow, 10 years of age. She's the reigning junior Miss Newfoundland and Labrador after winning the gala event September 24th, this past September 24th, in Carbonaire. So will I not take a call to get another happy holidays on before we run out of time? Yes, I'm doing it. Uh, let's go to line number three. Norman, you're on the air. Hi, Norman. Yes, how you doing today, boy? Doing okay, bye. How about you? Oh, not bad, boy, not bad. I'm still alive. That's, that's <laughs> I good. I have talked to you in a while. <laughs> what would you like to say this morning before we get to the news? Uh, well, what I'd like to say, now, Patty, the New Year's going on in there now, Patty, and uh, Christmas is all coming up now to the end there now. I'm all getting closer now for Christmas to yep. the roll on by there. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, I don't know if you notice it, but I do, that uh, most of the stuff that's been saying now the last couple of years about the environment, you know, the global warming thing and the eastern seaboard heating up, we can see it all with our eyes. Uh, I have a couple of hurricanes 
changed uh, now not too long ago. And, uh, you know, everything seems to be falling into place, Hattie. But I'm basically going to wish to all a happy new year and a merry Christmas because uh, for the simple reason, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe everything that guy predicted is going to fall into place. Remember that now. Always keep that in the back of your mind so you're ready for what's to come. I'll keep it in the front. Christmas and a happy new year. And see you all later. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas, Norman. Thanks a lot. Yep. All right. All the best. Here we go. And the world wishes Norman a Merry Christmas. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, the NDP candidate for uh, the pending by-election conception by East Bell Island is Kim Churchill. She's in the queue. Jill has an update on an eviction-related matter. Bob, let's talk about road conditions and what part of the province. We'll find out. And thankfully, we're getting a call about h and decision to end post-game handshakes with a minor hockey coach who's also in the queue. Don't go away. Ring in the new year with a special edition of the Irish Newfoundland Show, 9 p.m. New Year's Eve. Welcome back to the program. A positive update here. So the first caller this morning talked about a missing Porter Collie mix named Daisy, a little skittish nervous dog that had got uh, broke free from a daycare. Daisy has been rounded up and is now safe and sound, so that's good stuff. Let's go to line number four and say good morning to the NDP candidate for the by-election in Conception Bay, East Bell Island. That's Kim Churchill. Good morning, Kim. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you doing this morning? Not too bad. Thanks. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks. So yesterday, I was calling in today because I um, I just wanted to tell you and your listeners that yesterday I was on Bell Island. I had a very informative visit with the town council, and I met with many of the residents there. And, you know, what I what I took away from that visit was that there's a, a tremendous amount of growing frustration from the council of not being heard by the government. And they have been bringing ideas forward for quite some time. They are just simply being held back at every single turn. And it seems like it may be intentional, but it's something that, uh, you know, um, it seems like there is a common theme going on with regards to many things that were happening over on the island. But one of the things that I wanted to bring up today was something that is obviously not new to your listeners and yourself, and that's the ferry problem. Um, you know, when you look at the ferry, you look at the fact that if you don't have reliable, dependable service, um, that impacts every single thing that is happening on the island for all of these residents. So if you're not connected, you don't have access to health care, you don't, uh, you're not able to retain any youth to stay in the community. Uh, certainly people won't look at being uh, inclined to move to the island if they know that there's nothing reliable there. There's no way to be uh, uh, reliable and dependable transportation to get there, I should say. And, you know, one of the things that was brought to my attention yesterday was that this used to be a very reliable form of transportation in the past. And now, you know, all residents are seeing, and we've seen the the posts and we've heard the um, growing frustration, is that there are frequent cancellations. But what's interesting, and I think we've seen this recently, I think you've even talked about it on your show, is that there's cancellations from weather forecasts. So it's not current weather conditions that they're pulling the uh, ferries off. Um, they're, they're weather forecasts that are believed to happen, not necessarily happening. Meanwhile, while they're waiting for the weather to get worse, they could actually be running the ferry. And so that's a real huge source of contention for a lot of people on the island when they depend on, obviously, this to be able to get home or get to appointments or get to work. Um, and so, you know, it's funny because... Well, actually, we had planned to go to to Bell Island on Tuesday past, 
Um, instead, that was our original intention. And we couldn't get there because the Beaumont was actually taken out and it was docked. And so it was only one ferry running, the Legionnaire. And uh, it was, you know, when we looked at this as our team was planning on going over, we looked at the fact that it was too much risk to go over because, you know, if we got over and it did get pulled out of service once we were over there, then, you know, all of us as a team would have been stuck over on Bell Island. And, you know, Patty, I'll be honest with you, I probably would have been okay with having a night off and uh, being able to uh, kick up my heels with some of the residents over there. But, you know, the volunteers obviously have um, other jobs and uh, families, and that's something that I didn't want to have to impose on them on. Um, but, you know, it's it's something that there's a lot of problems with the ferry service, it's, and it's a lot it's due to communications. And what they're calling for is a local shore-based manager. And, you know, this is not new. Once again, we've been hearing this for years that they have been asking for this. And right now it's being administered from Lewisport, which totally blows my mind. I don't understand how that even is a possibility. Um, people even expressed to me yesterday, this was something that I hadn't heard before, and it's, it's quite valid. People expressed to me yesterday that they are really, really frustrated because they can't even get better jobs because they are afraid to put their address down as being from Bell Island in the um, you know real fear that an employer will look at that and say, well, I'm not going to hire you because I know that the ferry service is not reliable, so why would I want to hire somebody who's not dependable? And so, you know, what I heard was that people are actually using relatives' addresses to put on resumes so that they could, um, you know, possibly get a job interview. You know, it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking, Patty. Ferry service is never going to be 100% reliable because of weather and maintenance and retrofits and all the rest of it. But communication is always going to be the key. Even if you're not getting the answer that you want, getting some sort of answer is better than miscommunication or silence. So I think everyone will agree on that front that, you know, that will be the key issue regarding the ferry service itself because... You know, when the weather is bad and you can't safely load or offload, then, of course, you can't run it. And if there's a problem mechanically with the ferry, then it has to be taken out of service. I've long wondered why there hasn't been more localized management of the ferries, because Lewisport has been the hub for marine transportation direction for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel the same way, you know, it's, 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 I think it's an easy ask. It's an easy solution um, to help uh, the situation. And, uh, you know, if they had somebody that they could rely on, that community, Bell Island would thrive. It would be so much better for all of its residents. And, uh, and you know, like it's, it's one of those situations, Patty, where once again, the government is just dragging their heels. They're not taking care of their residents and they're just putting their hands, heads in the sand. Um, and we see it t- happen time and time again. This is literally a very easy thing to resolve. On the communication side, I, I agree 100%. It should be more effective and easier to communicate with people who rely on the ferry service. Uh, Kim, before we run out of time, I assume, given the fact you were in the queue, you heard our conversation with Audrey Snow, the junior Miss Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, and she you know, she raised $2,500 for the Shriners Children's Hospital. I'm pretty sure your son, uh, Carter, has uh, dealt with the Shriners. So what do you think about Audrey did? You know, Patty, my heart just, just, I, I just melted. I absolutely melted. And congratulations, Audrey, because 
that, you know, being 10 years old and being able to do that is just phenomenal. And I think you're a role model for so many young people to be able to get out and uh, and certainly put your, yourself on that platform. Um, and so, you know, with regards to the Shriners, I mean, there's we know there's many, many really good um, charitable organizations out there that need help. Shriners is something that's certainly dear to our heart because of Carter, and it's something that we have been using for the last decade. So, of course, it would have a, you know, a special uh, connection to me, and I definitely, well, on behalf of my son, would thank Audrey for doing that. Appreciate the time this morning, Kim. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yes, and, and certainly, Patty, Dave, all staff of EOCM, and all of your listeners, we wish you the same. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks very much, Kim. Take care. Take care. All right, there we go. Kim Churchill is on the ballot for the NDP in the upcoming by-election, which we're told will indeed be a by-election, not a component in the general election. So, of course, Kim Churchill representing the NDP, Tina Neri is on the ballot for the PCs, and Fred Hutton, he's representing the Liberal Party. And it's a stronghold for the PCs, PCs over the last 20 years, so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Will I get some road conditions here or take a break, Dave? Road conditions it is. Let's go to line number five. Bob, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Uh, I got a rant here about uh, transportation works, and it's because of the government, I guess, in action. Uh, I just had two of my workers come in from Cape St. George uh, just about, uh, I guess, an hour ago. They were able to get a plow down there. So I called uh, one of the guys here, the supervisors, and he said, he said, we got one plow down. So the whole port of port Peninsula, with all the snow we've been getting, has one plow to plow the whole peninsula. I mean, you know... That's not good enough. So I called the MHA for the area, Tony Wakeham, and he said, Bob, he said they took one of the plows out there. They sent it up to St. Anthony. Now, apparently they're waiting for two new plows that they're going to get, but that's not until January. So, I mean, you know, what do they think? January start is the start of winter in Newfoundland? So, you know, uh, they took the 24-hour service off for the highways in Newfoundland. Tony mentioned that to me, too. Save $1.9 million. I mean, last year I had a bit of a racket with this Liberal government about a waste of $6 million of taxpayers' money. So, I mean, you're wasting your time talking to the ministers because they don't seem to really understand what's going on in the province when it comes to uh, spending money and being fiscally responsible. So, you know, what what are people supposed to do? So, I mean, I had two workers miss the day's work yesterday because of the uh, the weather down on the peninsula. They couldn't get in because the roads weren't plowed. And today, again, you know, here you are with people who still are trying to get in to go to work. I mean, this is Christmas, and retail is, is really important. I've got two businesses in Stephenville, and I'm sure there's a lot of other business people in the Stephenville area who feel the same way. You know, if people can't get into work because, you know, you only have one plow for the whole port of Peninsula, there's a, a total lack of understanding somewhere within the government or Department of Transportation that works. I mean, the port of Peninsula is supposed to be on the uh, edge of a, a billion-dollar uh, enhancement with these, these wind farms. But yet this is the way the road system is going to operate in this peninsula? It just doesn't make any sense. Is this something new for only one plow to be on the peninsula? No, one is broke down. Oh, it's as fundamental as that one's broke down. But now, in, in that being said, <clears throat> I just had to go out uh, on what the area you call the base, and there's five loaders sitting in the uh, transportation works depot. Five loaders were sitting there, and now there was one uh, truck at there at, as well. But, I mean, you know, it, it, it just doesn't seem to make any sense what these guys are doing. And, uh, you know, here in, here in Stephenville, the roads are all plowed, you know. So, you know, why can't they uh, figure out a way? If, if a plow is down, 
get one from somewhere else because you could, you know, you got that whole Port of Port Peninsula down there, and people are trying to get into work. I had one guy yesterday said he drove in from Cape St. George to Stephenville in his truck all the way in. He had to put it in four wheel drive in order to get over the road. You know, if there's an emergency, if there's an ambulance trying to get in, you know, what are people down there supposed to do? So it really doesn't make any sense. What you know, this government needs to realize that you know when you're living in rural areas of Newfoundland. You know, even taking the 24-hour service off, it really has a negative impact on people's lives. No question. And even when we ask questions about the uh, lack of 24-7 service that used to be in place, they'll say, well, if there's an emergency, then a plow and an operator will be dispatched. But that's a bit too late when there's already an emergency in place and an ambulance has been called. Then all of a sudden we're going to get someone out of bed, drive to the depot, get in the rig, make their way to where the ambulance and the emergency is, and all of a sudden that's, that's reasonable? doesn't make any sense. Patty, uh, years ago when I was teaching high school in my other life, I took a bunch of my students in a democracy class to the Confederation building, show them how how our government actually works. And before I went in there, what I said to them was this. It seems like there's a vacuum cleaner in there, and before they go in there, those people, they get all the brain sucked out of them. They don't seem to get what, what happens in the real world. I guess they get you know into this bureaucracy they had there, and they don't get out into their, their, their communities and actually live what these people in these remote areas have to contend with. So I'm sure it's not only in the port of port Peninsula. You go into many of these rural areas in Newfoundland, you know, and to say, well, we'll dispatch somebody. You know, do you understand really what the implications of dispatching somebody are? As you said, you got to phone somebody. What if he's not home? What if he's out somewhere? What if he's stuck in his driveway because the plows aren't operating in his area? So, I mean, you know, they, they really need to get what happens in, in these outlying areas. And as that lady was saying earlier on about Bell Island and the ferries and service and stuff, you know, don't they get it that people have to get back and forth? You know, and I, I know it's a ferry service and you got bad weather, but as, as she said, you know, you know, even Eddie Shear is telling you that, look, there's bad weather coming, so we have to, you know, prepare for it and get, get the things straightened out so that, you know, these ferries will operate, you know, twice as much now to get everybody moving back and forth before the bad weather hits. So, you know, we really got some issues here with, with uh, you know, and, and it's, I guess other governments have done this as well. But, I mean, this government here, as I've said, I've, I've had this frustration with them already. As like I said, I called three ministers and the premier, and I said, I have something here that's going to save you $6 million. And, you know, in order to satisfy one of their own members, Scott Reed, they just laughed at me and said, no, it's going ahead. Don't worry about it. We're doing it anyway, regardless of saving $6 million. So, you know, we really have to hold these guys more accountable. And unfortunately, calling into an open line show like yours makes somebody question, uh, what the hell is he talking about? And, you know, we better check or investigate this. So, you know, I think it's it's time that they begin to realize in these outlying areas of Newfoundland, you know, they need to pay a little bit more attention to what's happening to these people. I appreciate the sentiment and the time, Bob. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Good talking to you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, there we go. Let's see. Uh, Dave wants me to take another one. Quick line three. Marlene, you're on the air. Hi. How you doing? Excellent. How about you? Pretty good. I have a question I was hoping you might be able to help with because um, a, a person that's visiting the city got stuck here um, for personal reasons. Um, 
Stephanie asked me if there's any restaurants that are open on Christmas Day and Boxing Day, and I honestly could not answer that question, and I'd like to get the right answer for them. Yeah, they'll Do be. Do you know if there's any restaurants open? They'll be back in business on Boxing Day for sure. I'm pretty confident in saying that most, if not all, restaurants will be closed on Christmas Day. But in addition to that, restaurants that are inside hotels, they'll be open, like the Irving Big Stop, which you, you can get a great meal, to be honest with you, the hot turkey sandwich or a Jigs dinner or something, they'll be open on Christmas Day as well. So outside of hotels and places like Irving's, probably not. So do you think like the Newfoundland Hotel, the restaurant will be open in there? Yeah. Because they're pretty close to there. They could walk to, to that location. Yeah. So you'll absolutely be able to eat at the Newfoundland Hotel. Kind of made me a little sad thinking about people that, you know, they don't know anybody here and... And they're going to have to figure out what to do on Christmas Day. And they're stuck here till Boxing Day, for sure, at least. And, yeah, I was just trying to help them out and find out where they could actually get a, a good meal. Well, the, those hotels, you know, whether it be the, the, the notable big hotels, those restaurants will absolutely be open. They have to cater to their own guests, for instance. So they'll be absolutely able to take the reservation. And plus, it's actually pretty festive spots. You know, nicely decorated. It'll be a nice environment, yeah. a nice meal. So maybe that's a good option for them. Thank you so much, Patty. You have a very Merry Christmas. Same to you, Marilyn. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Shandy, you're next in the queue. Uh, Shandy's a minor hockey coach. First-time caller, as a matter of fact, which is always terrific. We're talking about Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador's ending of the post-game handshake. And I do think it's bigger than just minor hockey, and I think it's bigger than just shaking hands, too. These are some concerns with just how we teach and develop young minds for how to win and how to lose and what happens if and when your buddies are in the same circumstance. So I think it's a little bit bigger than hockey, but we'll hear what Shandy has to say after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number six. Good morning, Shandy. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Very well, thank you. How about you? Not too bad. I'm a first-time caller, so a little bit nervous here this morning. Um, a lifelong listener, though. My mom always listened to you or to Open Line forever, and I always thought it was super annoying, but here I am, 36 <laughs> years of age, and listening to Open Line um, every morning at work. I love it. I appreciate the support and the call this morning. What's on your mind? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things on my mind, actually. So I started hockey when I was three years old, a uh, little rural town in northern Newfoundland, and... Um, always taught to be respectful of my teammates and um, you know the importance of sportsmanship and also that you pay for your consequences uh, pay for your actions this new rule with Hockey Newfoundland Labrador uh, I have no idea where it came from I only coach younger kids right now um, but I coach I say boys but co-ed because I'm a avid um, go girls hockey coach and I also coach some private female hockey uh, only hearing this morning that the rule only applies to minor and not female hockey so um, that's where my emotions come in this morning I, it, anyway I just believe that it's sending the wrong message to not only boys or the co-ed um, but to the female players as well um, what do you think that message is so I feel like when we were growing up, we were always taught, you know, once the buzzer goes, you just suck it up. Whatever the outcome of the game is, you shake hands. Make sure you shake hands with the officials. 
and that's where it's at. Obviously, uh, whatever happens in the game, I know I have nieces and a niece and a nephew who play as well. Um, I know what emotions are like when when hockey happens and and things happen and whatever. Um, but shaking hands is just that being respectful and showing kids that um, you know no matter what the outcome is, you're here for fun in the end. Um, you said earlier when you opened the show at nine o'clock that very low percentage of individuals from this province will go past junior or senior, which is very true. Um, I have kids who are in the motor hockey system as well. They, they enjoy going. They're not, um, they don't get too, too wrapped up in the emotions of it yet. I know they may, um, but the thing is, with the the only saying that the boys are not able, or the co-ed, sorry, are not able to um, be shaking the hands, what are you teaching the girls? You're teaching the boys that, okay, girls are better able to regulate their emotions. Uh, girls' uh, hockey is, what, not as competitive as boys, so girls, you can go on and, and shake the hands, but uh, boys is more important, or the co-ed is, uh, you know, more competitive, so that's where you can't do it or the other ones can. Um, I just know as a coach, if I have a child who I'm coaching who is showing disrespect either saying things in the handshaking line or slapping a stick on the ice after they lose, I'm going to put, I'm going to nip that right away. You're not, you're not going to be playing. You're not going to be, this is not what you want to be showing, um, the, the team that you have on your jersey, do you want this uh, behavior to be uh, reflective of who you're playing for? I know that these days, too, our children are doing things and they're, um, you know, oh, that's not my child or Johnny didn't do this. Well, I know parents have to have a piece in this part, too, but why is it that all kids have to be punished, in my opinion, or um, not being taught that sportsmanship at the end of the game because of maybe a spectator or maybe parents or whatever the case may be. I don't believe that this handshake is going to do anything with mitigating the risk of somebody still having um, arguments in, in the locker room or in the hallway or in the in outside the, the uh, arena. You're 100% right. You know, this is uh, habit-forming stuff. So when I say that uh, this is more than simply shaking hands or not shaking hands at the end of a minor hockey game, the fact of the matter is life is tough. Life is messy. You're not always going to get your way. So if we're not going to allow them to have to learn some of these life lessons as a part of minor hockey, which absolutely they should be, then how are they going to react when they don't do as well as they did in a test? How are they going to react when they don't get selected for to play the lead in the Christmas play? How are they going to react when they don't get the job they applied for. The habit will be that they'll be pissy and moany and whiny as opposed to try to figure it out and understand that I'm not going to win every time. I'm not going to get my way every day, all day on every issue. So that becomes, you know, ingrained in you. If the, if how you react after the game is going to be, you know, whiny, then you're going to be whiny about a lot of things. And whiny is kind of frustrating. So, you know. And Absolutely. And I know how I was raised. I was raised by a dad who was hardcore hockey, who was was, you know, 
play your hardest, but don't be, like you just said, pissy and moany at the end of the game. If you didn't work hard enough or whether the, there was calls that you didn't agree with, just suck it up, Buttercup. Um, play harder next time, but stand up on the blue line, shake the, the hands of the opposite team, and just move on. At the end of the day, it's a game. We're not here for the Stanley Cup. My thing as a coach, and I love coaching, I like to see the smiles on the kids' faces. I understand that there are some kids who are more competitive than others. I understand that there are some kids who are out there for the social aspect, which I know a lot of female hockey might be. But I know myself, I was very competitive, still am very competitive, and I was out there to win. But it doesn't, like, why are we trying to... um, Oh no! We'll we'll just uh, don't shake their hands. Jesus, what are you going to do next? On the next time you play against this team, I just feel like you're just going to increase the anger or the emotions that's going to be let go during the next game. Oh well, he got me last game, or I didn't win. Well, I'm going to get you this time. I don't know. That's just that's my opinion, of course. You know, it's hard to break a losing streak. It's easy to see a winning streak snapped. But losing, you know, I've I've done a lot of coaching in a lot of different sports over the years. Losing should always be motivating, not depressing, not debilitating, because it's a motivator, you know, to be better, to work harder, to be better teammates, you know, to uh, understand what the coach is trying to get out of you, understand how you interact with your own teammates, you know, work on your skills, try harder in practice, don't miss practice, be on time, all of those types of things. Losing is a motivator. And if people don't talk about it like that, then they're simply just going to accept that, yes, number one, you have to accept that losing is all part of it, but number two, to work harder based on losing is just part and parcel with how everything works everything Absolutely. not just sports yeah i know and as and i just i maybe i'm just different too because i'm a female coach in the minor league right now and I also coach female but i have boys i don't have i don't have little girls who are playing in, in the female league so i'm teaching my children okay well you can't manage your emotions so get off the ice and you're not allowed to to shake the hands of the other team that's, I, I, as a parent, as a coach, that is not how I want to teach my children, the children that I'm coaching, or my niece or nephew or whoever is out there. I don't know. I'll leave it at that, but I think that this is something that could be mitigated. Like they could mitigate the risk of this anger or animosity or whatever it is that's happening outside better than just completely taking it out and just taking it out of minor i don't know yeah how about we just deal with the people who are getting out of hand absolutely you know the whole team doesn't get suspended because you got one maniac who hopped the boards and pounded the you know what out of someone that person gets suspended and maybe the coach as well uh shandy good to have you on keep up the good work as a minor hockey coach thank you merry christmas merry christmas to you too all right bye-bye all right uh I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one writer says, sportsmanship does not require non-consensual physical contact. That's true. You're, you're absolutely right. But taking, you know, when we're talking about improving things and including things, excluding the handshake is part of the sportsmanship routine. You know, it just seems to me to be a little bit of a knee-jerk over-the-top reaction to maybe some remote, isolated incidents. Anyway, let's take a break. Don't go away. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. 
Welcome back to the show. All right, so let's go. Line number two. Jill, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. This is uh, Jill. I was speaking to you last week. Um, I'm in four set of my apartment uh, after 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have any really good news. Um, you gave me the name of the company uh, to call, and I know the apartment. I don't know if I can say the address. I know the building. We know a lady, a 79-year-old lady that lives there. She has a mold in her apartment, she told us, and has various health issues. And she's not supposed to have wall-to-wall carpet, and they wouldn't do anything about that for poor soul. And uh, I've been in contact with Siobhan Cody's uh, assistant. He sent me on a wild goose chase on Monday. Last uh, week, he called me and told me about an apartment available in the East End apartment building. And he told me to phone up the company and confirm it on Friday. Well, my home phone wasn't working. I gave out on uh, early Thursday morning. We had a power outage here in the West End, where I live. So I haven't had a phone until this morning. And uh, I I went over to Sobeys, used a pay phone, and called uh, this company to confirm it. Got some men in administration, didn't know what I was talking about, but he emailed somebody, I suppose, in the office about it. So Monday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I went down to see this apartment, was talking to the building manager, didn't know anything about it. He said, I don't have an apartment here available even to show you. He said, I got uh, um, a whole list of people that want an apartment here. But you're not the first person that's been sent down here like this. I think it's a disgrace. Uh, uh, Send me on a wild goose chase like that. I voted for Siobhan Cody. And uh, I had to phone you last week for him to call me back. He called me back right away. All I do is leave messages with voicemail. And, And I don't know. Funny enough, she sends me a, a birthday card every January. I told him to forget it. I just left him a voicemail. Don't bother. Save on the postage. And because I wouldn't vote for her again. She's too busy now with equalization payments for the province, I suppose. Then worry about me. You vote for them, and then they don't want to do anything for you. But they can send you a birthday card. Yeah. I tell you, I'm not very happy. I understand. You know, and this is not really the big point you're making, but the budget that the politicians are given for things like sending out cards, you know, I I appreciate the sentiment, but I think most people would just rather they didn't and spent the money on other things, you know, because... I'm going through hell here, and I need a bit of help. I I went down to the gathering place talking to two social workers on, on Tuesday, the day after. I got more help from them than I'm getting from Siobhan Cody's office. I was told to call when I went through this. They sent off this application for dispute resolution to the Residential Tenancies Act, hoping uh, I can take them to court, which I was told I probably wouldn't win anyway. But I'm going to fight for my apartment and uh, uh, hopefully buy me some more time. I've got to be out of here by February the 29th. I might be able to get an extension. Well, I wish you good luck, and hopefully something comes of an appeal to the board. I don't know what the uh, likelihood is, but, uh, Jill, I wish I could flip a switch and find you a place to live. You know, we tried to put you in contact with someone who might be able to help. And so with that number that we gave you last time, what was the case, that the apartment wasn't appropriate or it wasn't available, or what happened? I didn't have anything available. They told me they put me on a list. Okay. Oh, I'm getting anywhere. And, and I don't know, after I went down to see this apartment, went up and saw the company that owned this building. Went and saw somebody in charge. Uh, showed him my um, eviction notice. 
boy, was she cold. She couldn't have cared less if I froze to death on the sidewalk in February. I want to know if they have a number of buildings in here. If they want this apartment, couldn't they uh, transfer me to another apartment and one of their buildings in here? Didn't have anything available, so she told me, but she didn't even bother to look it up. And um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to wish you good luck with this. Keep us in the loop, Jill. Hopefully have a uh, good you know, holiday, I moved, despite. I moved in here from Carboneer 25 years ago, thinking I was going to have a better life, and it's a joke. I've had crummy jobs. I've done six of these so-called employment programs that are funded by the government. They're, um, two words come to mind, utter crap. I didn't get anything out of that. I spent $16,000 going to, uh, going to doing a post-secondary uh, education, doing a secretarial course. It cost me $16,000. I went and saw this um, employment agency about it. I, I couldn't, I didn't know where to go with it. All they said, we got about 72 people on our books for that type of course. To, uh, I don't think there's much work in St. John's with it. Why don't you go and do home care? <laughs> You know? well, I'm not really sure what to say to the job prospects and training that you've done, but uh, housing is, of course, a very, really different issue. Uh, Jill, I'm going to take you... and I are going through hell. Everybody's about Christmas. Uh, we don't have any decorations Jill. up. We don't have anything really to look forward to. Uh, we're scared uh, to death because of the, the shortage of uh, probably uh, uh, apartments in here at the moment. <laughs> you're not alone. Uh, I'm sorry to hear all this, but I appreciate your time. Anyway, thank you very much. Merry Christmas you too. Uh, and uh, to all of everybody at VOCM. Thank you very much. Bye, Jill. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. All right, let's take the break on time. But Peter, Ken, and Lauren, you guys are in the queue. Appreciate your patience. We'll get back to speak to you right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. All right, uh, line number one. Peter, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. Good morning. Um, um, just wanted to uh, go back to earlier in the show this morning, um, the topic of blood, uh, um, you know, Canadian blood services. Um, you know, and, um, you know, we need blood and it's very important and there's, you know, we need more of it. Um, I made a suggestion to a frontline worker, you know, several years ago that, um, the only way you can give blood now is you have to go online and, you know, uh, put in your information and, and everything, And uh, but there's no lock-ins. And I always thought that that was not necessarily a good thing. If you're trying to get blood, uh, you know, you should make it as accessible as possible. Now, out here in Lewisport, for instance, uh, every Thursday or every second Thursday, the Philadelphia Church... Um, uh, 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 offers the prem their premises so the uh, blood services uh, crew can come in. They go into Gander for a couple of days and then they come out here for one night, you know, and they, they you know, they circulate and that's fine. But uh, my um, uh, question is why can't they allow you to go in there, just walk in, and you know, and, and you have to market that, that you walk in, but you have to still go through a you know, a, 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 a pre uh, pre-op uh, before you know pre to go in there and uh, you know be ready to do you know give blood uh, rather than everything online because there's quite a few people out there that are really not that computer savvy and they're not really all but they do want to give blood and um, all you have to do is you know change the philosophy of the business now i know that you know back to 10 15 20 years ago somewhere we had a big problem in canada with the blood services um, and they changed it all. 
and you know I'm not very familiar with it, but and you probably are. Uh, but the thing is that that's all I'm trying to do is make my point is that from a marketing point of view, if I was in charge of the Canadian Blood Services, um, you know, try to make it easier uh, and eliminate that. So you'd have to have a pre somebody. So I'd walk in there, you know, at 70 years of age. Uh, oh, okay, what's your name? Blah blah blah. What's your MCP number? Blah blah blah. Okay, no problem. Uh, okay, yep. Yeah, just wait. You'll have to wait an extra few minutes though. No problem, because we do want to give. We do want to give. But just the technology today is gone. So, you know, there's 25% of Newfoundlanders, for instance, that are over the age of 65 right now. And they want to give blood. So that's my point. That's it. What, so. What's keeping them from being able to donate? I have no idea. It's just you have to go online first and book an appointment. Can't you just call 1-800-2-DONATE? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but a lot, what my point is that a lot of people uh, are not, you know, into, they're not computer savvy, you know, and uh, you know they come from around the bay here in Lewisport to shop on Wednesdays and Fridays and stuff, and well Thursdays of course is different as well because that's not a, really a shopping day in Lewisport because Lewisport is a bit of a mecca uh, that services probably eight or ten communities in the local area, and you know small communities, right? You know, of uh, you know, fifty or a hundred or whatever. You know, Stanhope, uh, Lawrenceton. Uh, there are just quite a few when you add it up. Right? Fair enough. So, uh, making uh, things easy makes things better. Yeah. So you know, I never called Canadian Blood Services. I mean, I've been known to do something like that before. With, uh, for instance, the Salvation Army, um, a gift thing when you go to donate to the Salvation Army, and they give you a little. Or no, no, sorry. Um, I'm talking about uh, Labor Day weekend now. Uh, no, I'm, oh, I'm confused. Uh, the poppies, the poppies. Um, the poppies always have a needle on them, and they stick into your clothes. Anybody wearing leather jackets, fur jackets, or whatever cannot accommodate these things. So I went and sent a letter to the um, organization and asked them to make some stickers, like, like stickers, right? And... Um, by God, in Nova Scotia, where I've been living for many years, they came out the next year with the stickers for leather jackets with the poppy, right? So that worked. So I'm just planting seeds here now. Uh, Patty? And I appreciate you doing exactly that. Would you like to say anything else, Peter, before I take another call? Uh, yes, I would. I would like to wish you a very uh, nice, happy Christmas. And uh, I listen to your show. I'm a first-time caller, but I wish you a very nice Christmas. Uh, the very same to you and your family, Peter. Thank you. Okay. All the best. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let us keep rolling. Let's go to line number four. Lauren, you're on the air. Good morning, line number four. Lauren, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. Sorry, hi. I never heard you say the Lauren part. No problem. Uh, well, just a bit of a, not so much of a... a uh, a problem or an issue actually is a as a well wishing for for christmas uh, as a vol- as a volunteer with uh, different search and rescue organizations over the past 20 years i certainly want to wish every uh, volunteer member across the the island uh, and uh, the big land a very merry christmas it's it's very difficult is either in your blood or it's not uh, to be able to get a phone call at uh, three o'clock in the morning saying that somebody's lost and you put your rubber boots on and you're packing your gun for eight hours through the bush trying to get somebody home 
Um, I'd like to share a little excerpt. Um, there's a, it's a fairly lengthy poem, uh, and I, I don't want to read all of it because I don't want to take up too much in yours and uh, Dave's time there. But it really, the end of it really showcases how the poem basically goes through a, a search that happens at Christmas time. The, a little girl is lost, and it ends off, of course, uh, as a as a good note. Um, and the end of it is uh, the team finds her, and they radio back, and it says, and it's done in the uh, 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 Christmas, uh, basically, uh, uh, the, the way a Christmas poem goes. And it says, we'll stretch her out, the searchers did say, send another team to help light the way, have EMS waiting to make sure she's all right, and we'll have her home before morning light. The teams had accomplished what they set out to do, located the subject, and brought her home too. No greater gift could have been given that day to get a child back that had gone astray. The searchers had left their homes in the night to help a fellow man and do what was right. Once at home on that Christmas morn, loved ones were hugged and goodwill was born. To receive is nice, but it's better to give. These things we do so that others may live. And Patty, I'd like to give a special thank you to the Central Avalon Ground Search and Rescue Team and the Civil Air Search and Rescue Team, both uh, I've, I've been uh, members of, and these guys bang it out of the park every time. And Merry Christmas to you and uh, Dave, or as I like to call him, Super Dave, because he keeps the, keeps the show on track. Yeah, he does a great job. And uh, I, uh, I appreciate the sentiment and the excerpt from that poem. That was really quite nice. And so for anyone who's ever been involved in search and rescue, especially, obviously, volunteers, uh, bravo. And the work you do is absolutely critically important, as everyone will acknowledge and understand. But, uh, Lauren, you know who the real heroes are? Radio engineers. <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> Thanks for this, Lauren. Take care, my friend. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Let's keep rolling here. We'll go to line number three. Ken, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. How are you? Best kind to you. Merry, Merry Christmas to you. You too. Patty, we're at the Sheila Williams show last night at the uh, Arts and Culture Center. Shelley Neville. Or Shelley Neville, sorry. Lovely. I always mix those two up. Absolutely beautiful show. Absolutely fantastic. Her dad stole the show. He was quite... Uh, Quite entertaining. The quintessential choir, if anyone gets out tonight and can go to the Basilica, I'd highly recommend it. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, the sad part of the visit was uh, when we came out, and uh, apparently I wasn't the only one, our vehicle windows had been smashed and our cars were broken into. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, so that kind of put a damper on the uh, on the uh, experience. But... Uh, I still got to give them, uh, you know, they're a world-class uh, act that's going on there. They did some scenes from Come From Away, and uh, uh, Quintessential Choir joined in on that. But I don't know, uh, moving forward, if uh, Arts and Culture Center or different places that are holding events, maybe they should add a, uh, you know, a, a kind of fee to your ticket, because I'm sure uh, uh, myself and the other people who came out to their uh, vandalized cars last night would have... Uh, would have been happy to pay a buck or two extra on their ticket to have a lot of tenants uh, looking after the lots while these uh, events are in a place. And especially when people are coming in from out of town, maybe after doing a bit of shopping or whatever and going to take in the show and uh, unfortunately maybe don't have a place to uh, safely store their packages while they're uh, you know out enjoying the events that are available around our city. Uh, I think your point is spot on. You know, some organizations and some uh, <clears throat> some buildings like arts and culture centers in different parts of the country, they absolutely have security in the parking lot for that exact reason. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good idea. And I think you're also right in saying, if my ticket was $20 this year, but it's 21 next year, but I guarantee my car windows aren't smashed out and I get robbed, I'm paying the 21 Oh, 100%. Like, if it was an added option, I bet you everyone in that theater would add a buck fifty or two bucks to their, uh, to their bill or to their ticket to know that for someone uh, home in the parking lot while they're in enjoying the uh, entertainment. Yeah, 100%. I'm really sorry to hear that happen to you. I mean, you enjoy a great evening, and here you are uh, moving into the Christmas season, and this happens. It's just brutal. And the criminal element, they're quite active this time of year, whether it be the porch pirates stealing your packages that they get delivered and dropped off on the stoop before we get home, the package is gone, which has happened in my neighborhood. It happened to us last year. Yeah, it's uh, that's a sad thing, but I'd certainly like to... Uh Thank the Capital Auto Group who, uh, with Subaru who took my car this morning and are going to work because uh, I'm from out of town, actually. And they're uh, diligently going to try to get me uh, back on the road uh, this afternoon. I'm sure a lot of those guys would like to get off early today and start their uh, Christmas festivities. So I, I certainly appreciate the, uh, and the, uh, the, the service that they're offering today. is just fantastic. Where are you in from? Uh, we're from Central, from North Iron. Terrific. Well, uh, unfortunately, you had that experience in the parking lot, but hopefully the uh, concert experience will help you navigate that little disappointment or anger or frustration, whatever the right word is. And Shelley Neville is extraordinary. Absolutely. Yeah, she and actually. Really, you know, Patty, it's not Christmas till she sings "Oh Holy Night," right? You got that right, which I've said to her many times on this show. Actually, <laughs> is that where you heard that? Uh, yes. Yeah, funny. Yeah, I know Shelly. Shelly actually uh, sang at my father's funeral, which I'll never forget. Uh, Ken, safe travels back to Central, and uh, appreciate your time. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And a Merry Christmas to all you guys here at BOCN. Paul Rains did a great job last night. Terrific. Uh, Rains, he's great. Okay, thanks. You're welcome, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, uh, so there we go. So we got a couple of callers in the queue. Terry also wants to pick up uh, on the blood collection issue. Eric is up in Lab West, talk about a concern of his. Lloyd, I believe, is with the Shriners, wants to talk about a couple of conversations we've had here this morning, and then plenty of time for you. Don't Oh, and we were talking with Audrey Snow, and she's a young gymnast, and, of course, the junior Miss Newfoundland Labrador. We mentioned Simone Biles. She's just been named AP Female Athlete of the Year for the third time after her dazzling return. Let's take a break for the news. Don't go away. There's going to be a time tonight. Who says you can't start a new tradition? Ringing in the new year with a special edition of the Irish Newfoundland Show. 9 p.m. New Year's Eve. Welcome back to the program. All right, let's go to line number two. Eric, you're on the air. Yes, hello, Patty. How are you? I'm very well this morning. Thank you. How about you? Uh, good, good. I'd like to wish uh, all your listeners a happy holiday season. How about and, me? Uh, to start, yeah, and uh, I'd like to talk to you about an issue in Labrador West that that's pretty major. It's important and concerning for people here. Is that there's no elders' house in Labrador West, and it must be the one of the only places in the province where there's no elders' house. And I find it's a sad, uh, sad situation because. Uh, my mother, we moved here in 1975, and she had to leave when she was 77 to go to Quebec City. She didn't like it. Now she's in Gatineau. She, she has trouble adapting there. And if there would be an elder's house in Labrador West, it would help people, you know. And I know a lady, she's 83 years old. She lives in her house in Labrador West, Labrador City. She's been here since 1967. 
And when you get old, what do you do? You got to leave uh, some people to get their kids, to get the grandkids here. I find it's very, uh, very sad that the government doesn't doesn't listen to people in the area here. Uh, the DMHE does a good job, but the government there doesn't seem to be a political will to help people, the elders in Labrador West. There's lots of money comes out of Labrador West, you know, f- for years, millions and millions and millions with the iron ore industry, and this, you know, it's, it's I find it ridiculous. I've been talking about this issue for a long time. Noreen Kareen out in Lab West, she calls. We talk about the fact that there is no long-term care facility in Labrador West, which is sort of strange, and you're not wrong. Plenty of money has flowed to provincial coffers coming from Lab West and mining operations in particular. So, yeah, this one's been on the radar for a long time. I don't know why there's never been any action taken on it. But it's, 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 it's sad is, I mean, there must, the, the government must do something for all areas of Newfoundland and Labrador, you know, not only to get the money and the resources and, you know, uh, bring it somewhere else. I have nothing against the other places in Newfoundland and Labrador, but why is Labrador West uh, excluded from an elder's house? It's not normal in 2023. I know lots of old people live here. They've been involved here all their life. And then what you want to do when you get old? You need you need a place to stay. You need services and have trouble finding doctors. They shouldn't maybe... Uh, try to get doctors fly and fly out or find a solution there. There's a hospital that's fairly new, you know, like uh, in the nearby community, well, it's Fairmont in Quebec, 27 kilometers away. If you need to see a doctor, you go see a fly and fly out doctor. If you need to see a specialist, they pay your plane ticket to go see a specialist, close to specialist. But here, uh, you got to pay for plane tickets, and there's a couple of reimbursement there, but it's not the best. And when you're an, when you're an old, when you're a retired person, you know, you need more services for health care, and you need a place to stay, I mean, it's, it's with all the money that comes out of here, I find it really uh, sad that there's no elders out. It's everywhere else in the province there's an elders out, even some small places there. Yeah, now there are some communities uh, similar to yours where people will have to leave to get a spot in a long-term care facility or a personal care home, but it's absolutely non-existent in Labrador West, which is, as I've said to Noreen and many others, and to you this morning, I find it to be a little bit odd. Yeah, well, that's what I that's what I want to. That's what I wanted to talk about because uh, it could be more maybe efforts uh, by the government, you know, or at least a political will to try to do something, you know, maybe at least studies to see if there's something. It doesn't need to be a huge uh, facility, but at least a minimum uh, minimum facility because there's lots of old people here, you know, and they got kids, they got grandkids. They like the place. They, they've lived there all their life. They like to stay, but they have to leave, you know, so I find really, really sad there. Understood, Eric, because like you say, you spend your whole life working and living in the community, you grow old, and all of a sudden you have to leave if you need that level of uh, medical care. Yeah, and, uh, and even if you don't really need medical care, but, you know, you don't want to stay in a big house. So you no, I get house, it. Yeah. Gonna, Understood. Know, so my mother, she's still autonomous, but she said, oh, I got a big house, and she decided to leave, which, you know, she would have liked to stay here, but there's no place to stay, you know, so, yeah. I hear you, Eric, and I appreciate your time this morning. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for your show. My pleasure. Take care. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number five. Lloyd, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Top shelf today. Thanks. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. Um, just wanted to comment on uh, a couple of callers that you had on earlier. Uh, I was very pleased to hear Audrey Snow uh, and her remarks. A uh, remarkable young lady, and uh, she made reference to her fundraising efforts for the Shriners. Um, I'm the potentate-elect for Missoula Shriners in Newfoundland and Labrador, so my year in office will be 2024. And I uh, just wanted to give your listeners some information on what that money is about and what, what it is that we do. 
Absolutely. Go right ahead, sir. Well, Audrey raised money through the um, Junior Miss NL pageant, and uh, the Junior Miss NL pageant has been a sponsor of the Shriners Patient Transportation Fund for uh, five or six years. They have raised uh, for our kids' transportation now in excess of $50,000. And I just want to thank Sabrina Jenkins and, and her people for the great work that they do with that pageant. Uh, this past year, September of 2023, the uh, Miss Trinity Conception uh, pageant also uh, took us on as uh, their charity of choice, and we're very appreciative of that. So that relationship is very productive. In terms of what that money does, Shriners operates over 20 medical facilities across North America, one of which is a hospital in Montreal which specializes in scoliosis care and osteogenita imperfecta, OI, uh, we, we would commonly refer to it as brittle bone syndrome, and also orthopedic care for kids. And uh, we're very pleased with uh, the work that's being done there. We're also pleased with the referrals that we get from our own Janeway Hospital. Uh, very healthy relationship there and cooperation between the two hospitals. And our money that we raise is paying for our kids to uh, be transported back and forth to Montreal with a parent to pay their hotel expenses while they're there and to pay any hospital fees that are accrued. So this year alone, for example, in 2023, we've spent a quarter of a million dollars on that transportation. So those donations are, are very important, and we're very appreciative of uh, all those who help us out. You know, I really uh, enjoyed speaking with Audrey. She was lovely. And to know, yeah, sometimes I think young people get a bad rap for not being in tune with what's, what's going on in their community, what's important. And she's obviously one of the really bright lights, and I'm really pleased to speak with her this morning. And we all know the work that the Shriners do. You know, in this world of tight times and inflation and cost of living, is it becoming harder and harder to fuel these programs that you offer? Well, it is. I mean, all charities in the province will tell you the same thing. I mean, there's only so many dollars out there, and, uh, you know, you're doing your best. Um, we're very happy with some of the corporate uh, sponsorships that we're getting as well. Um, I don't know if people realize it or not, but Air Canada, through the Aeroplan program, actually sponsors medical flights for children in Canada. And, of course, Shriners Hospital in Montreal is one of the principal beneficiaries of, of those Aeroplan points. So, uh, folks, if you've got aeroplane points that you don't need, every September Aero Can Air Canada puts on a, a promotion where they'll double the points if you donate them, and you can do that on the Air Canada webpage. Uh, personally, I do that every year, and I know many other friends and family do. Um, you know, we also have good relationships in the community. The Newfoundland and Labrador Construction Association has been a good sponsor of ours, and we appreciate what they've done for us. Um, and, of course, we've got 10 clubs across the province who are out there raising money every week, everything from TV bingos to ticket sales to, to dinners. And, uh, you know, we're an active organization, so we work hard to raise this money, but it's necessary for our kids. 100%. Uh, Lloyd, I appreciate you making time for the program this morning, and I, I'm sure you appreciated the comments coming from both Audrey and Kim Churchill uh, earlier in the show. Keep up the good work with the Shriners. Thanks very much. I want to thank Kim as well for uh, for mentioning that. I mean, we've been very pleased to be partners in Carter's Care for a number of years now. And, uh, you know, right, for example, Patty, before I let you go, this past year we've had 90 patient visits to the Montreal Hospital that have been funded by our patient transportation fund. 
So we're busy, and uh, it's a good cause, and I encourage your listeners to, uh, to support us. 100%. Thank you, Lloyd. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas, Patty. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Here we go. That's Lloyd Collins with the Shriners. Let's take a break. Do not go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go line number one. Sure. Good morning, Terry. You're on the air. Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you. I just want to make a quick call. Um, your caller that mentioned blood services and having walk-ins. Mm-hmm. I just want to say I agree with him 100% because as a senior, especially in the winter, I don't often drive based on the weather. So it's really no good for me to book an appointment because if it's not fit out, I'm not going to drive. And the other thing is that sometimes you just don't get a good night's sleep so you know you can't drive. So it's just not convenient for me to book an appointment. So that's all I wanted to say is that uh, maybe they should make walk-ins again. And actually, I'm all negative, which they're always looking for. So I know I've, a couple of times um, I went by, you know, because I was out that way. I also don't live in that end of town. So it was, uh, I stopped in and they weren't open that day. <laughs> you know, and I did that twice, not realizing that that was the day that they were closed. But if they have walk-ins and I happen to be in the area, I would certainly go in give my blood yeah i suppose it's just trying to keep things moving in an orderly fashion so that you know a walk-in might not have to sit there and wait because a bunch of people had appointments at that time but was it was it ever the case terry that you could walk in and donate blood i think yes you could yeah i have uh, yeah i have done it in the past yeah well people have a few questions that's all i Pardon me? People do have a few questions, like, you know, about locations and maybe walk-ins. We'll add it to our list because we're going to invite the good folks from Canadian Blood Services on because more of these questions are piling up, so we'll put them directly to the people that know the answers. There we go. Perfect. Okay, thank you. Merry Christmas to you and everybody. Thanks. Merry Christmas to you as well, Terry. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go to where? Let's go to line number uh is that a six or you got an eight up there? Is it eight, Dave? Okay, eight. Good morning, Al. Antel, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? I'm doing okay, Al. How about you? Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. Thanks, Al. Patty, uh, I deliberately waited until today to call you. This is a sort of a, a mixed bag of tricks for me today. Today's my last day. I'm retiring. I'm retiring as of December 31st, but this is my last day for work. So it's been 42 years, just about 42 years, and 45,000 cases in credit counseling. And it's been my absolute pleasure to to work with the salt of the earth and the, the men and the women who come to the Labrador home. Just so people know what we're talking about. So Al Antle is the executive director at Credit Counseling Services. So well, congratulations. I mean, 42 years is a long time to put in on any endeavor or job. And retirement, I can't wait for the day where I can call the show or I can tell the people that I'm retiring, but it won't be anytime soon. Al, in your job, though, you hear people that come in and there's got to be a certain desperation when you need credit counseling services and or some advice to you know how to avoid being in that predicament. But with it comes the ability to put people back on track, you know, put them on better financial or secure financial footing. So how do you balance that desperation with what is likely a positive outcome? Well, at the end of the day, I think probably one of the least celebrated points or facts about credit counseling, not just here in Newfoundland, right across the country, is the fact that we operate fully with the cooperation of of the large banks. And we can get concessions for people 
from the large banks that, that ordinary citizens can't. And, you know, people say, why? Well, I'm sorry, I can't explain why. We just can't. You know, uh, you know, the Canadian Bankers Association is incredibly supportive of credit counseling across the country. In fact, it's, it's primarily through Canadian banks that agencies like mine are funded. That's how supportive they are. Uh, and, and, you know, if we can get significant concessions on behalf of individuals who are struggling with debt, then chances are we can often save them from bankruptcy, teach them how to manage their money more effectively, teach them how to budget, and teach them how to be good consumers. And that's what that's what the process is all about. And as I said, there's been 45,000 of those. Uh, amazing. It's a long run and 45,000 of those cases. You must have heard some pretty incredible stories and incredible gratitude when people get the help that they so desperately need. Because talk about issues that bring us anxiety and mental health concerns. One of, the, one of the ones at the top of the list and one of the things that maybe breaks up a lot of relationships is money. So you provide a yeoman service. Al. Well done. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting because, of course, it's been it's been the last two months have been a rather reflective time. And, you know, I go back to the very first case I ever handled. I won't name names for obvious reasons, uh, but this individual identified herself on a regular basis as having been our client. And I remember after that first session going, what have I done? She was a single mother with six children. Uh and she had 23 creditors. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? But, you know, that worked out beautifully. It took time, but it worked out beautifully. And oddly enough, uh, you, you talked about gratitude. She kept in touch with us right up to the point of her passing. And, and was, uh, you know, if, if, we were, if we were in the media, if somebody in the media was trying to do a story, uh, she would step forward and identify herself and talk to the media. People are genuinely thankful for the service they get and for the, for the help they get. How does someone end up in a predicament where they have 23 creditors? Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's such a brilliant question. And I worry that the answer, that I oversimplify the answer. Because it's a very simple answer. We have 23 creditors because the financial sector is selling money. It's what they sell. You know, and if you, if you, and back in the day, by the way, to keep in mind, that would have been 42 years ago. And we didn't have the, we didn't have the credit rating system we have now. We didn't have the credit score system we have now. You know, the, the automatic uh, checks and balances that, uh, that electronic uh, data management has brought us. But back then, you know, everything was maintained manually. And, uh, it, you know, unless something showed up in your credit history, they, you, you'd be reapproved. Now, what was interesting was that this individual owed 23 creditors, but she didn't owe $5,000. She had all these little tiny accounts, absolutely typical of what would have been a single mother. She had, a, you know, an account at the arcade down, downtown. Well, that's where she bought shoes for her kids. You know, she had an oil company account. That's how she kept the house warm. You know, that, that that's so she had a bunch of small, tiny little accounts, and uh, we just we just organized them, set them up, and, and so on and so forth. And here we are. Uh, Al, I'm pleased that you made the big announcement here on the program, and I would imagine there's 45,000 people minimum that are appreciative of the services at the credit counseling. So uh, anything else you'd like to offer before I take another call in the newscast? Well, there's, there's a, I've been replaced by Lauren Howell, who is one of our own. Lauren came up through our own. We hired Lauren about eight years ago. 
Lauren is a graduate of Moore University, uh, is exciting, excited, and will provide the same level of service. As well, credit counseling is probably going to move locations in the next three months. That's, again, a purely a business decision. A number of people have seen the building for sale and kind of go, you're retiring. Are you guys closing? No, not at all. We're simply seeking to be more efficient by not paying $40,000 a year for a building that we really don't need in terms of, the, of space. Technology has changed everything for us. We need smaller space. We've chosen to move to get that smaller space. Al, this is a message that I just received aimed at you. And this is from the former mayor of Wabush, <clears throat> pardon me, Colin Vardy. Yes, yes. Al Antle was very supportive of the people of Wabush when the mine closed. He's a fine man. While I'm sad to hear he's retiring, I'm glad he is as well, as has been very well deserved. Thank you, Al, for what you did for Wabush and all the other people in the province. There you go. Former Mayor of Wabush, uh, Colin Vardy. Collins, and I know Colin well. Gentleman to his fingertips. Uh, I appreciate you uh, this morning, Al. Congratulations on a 42-year run. Wishing you the happy and healthy retirement. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Al. Yes, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you go. Al Antelow, of course. Many people would have dealt with how he used the number. 45,000 cases have gone through that office while he was there for the 42 years. All right, one more before we get to the news. Let's go to line number seven. Cyril, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Abby. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. Uh, yes, I want to talk about the cell phone coverage in our area right there around the Clownville area and Goobies. Sure. Uh, well, the Goobies area there, uh, I don't know... Uh, Probably this side of Sunnyside uh, is a black area. You uh, can't get out on cell phone. And while well, I live down in Southwest Arm here and uh, down in Gooseberry Cove, Southport area, we have a lot of activity going on down there. We're uh, bought and next to Random Island and Clarenville. Uh, even over around 80 Town, uh, you got to pick a place there uh, along that area to get out on a cell phone. Now, uh, why I called is, I uh, see, uh, uh, I think it was last week, uh, uh, there was a, some type of announcement that they were going to do some more cell phone coverage, uh, do towers, or do something. I, I, I never got it all at the time, but I know uh, they spoke about something that the Coast Guide was involved into it uh, because of the fishing areas and everything here. So... You know what I mean? We're, we're uh, just down the road from Bull Am, and we're out in the middle of Trinity Bay here, and uh, all around our uh, communities here, uh, you uh, you can't get out on cell phone. you got to get up on a mountain somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, uh, well, you know, uh, the Bull Am area going in there, that's a nine-mile in draft. Well, leaving that Bull Am going out of Trinity Bay on our side, uh, just above us, just two more of them nine-mile in drafts. They're right full of cabins, roads going everywhere to them, and the people there got millions of dollars, I'll say all over, putting into cell phones, people getting boosters. We, we've, you know, had a few accidents, people having had attacks myself. I've been involved in uh, into a couple of accidents out on the water, uh, and, uh, you know, you just can't get out. Uh, uh, only uh, a couple of summers ago, we uh, springs, we had a accident on a boat on the shore air, and only for the VHF, uh, the Coast Guide, the, uh, those people, we don't know what would have happened. And uh, same thing in the Random Island area, uh, 
back years ago, we had an incident uh, down in around Bonaventure area, a friend of mine, and uh, all through no cell phone coverage. The people just, uh, you got a phone, you just sit there and uh, hope for the best, and you got a cell phone in your hand, you can't use it. Yeah, it's dreadful, right? You pay the, the provider for the service and you don't get anything out of it. So you're right, the province has gone to the market to expand wireless coverage in the province for the underserved or not served at all communities and different regions. So hopefully that includes your area around uh, Clarenville Goobies. Yes, uh, I've uh, already reached out uh, a while ago, and I have got a call gone into to our image, Sharon Rogers there, and uh, hopefully that he could set some light on uh, uh, getting towers because the. Back a few years ago, uh, just behind me uh, is a big mountain there. They had a tower on it and took it out of it. And uh, everybody was wondering then at the time, like if they uh, could have sold out the tower and uh, there was a road going to it, power going to it, why they didn't uh, uh, sell out those towers for the, put the devices, whatever it takes for a cell phone uh, to get the better coverage. And uh, we don't know. Uh, now, we have got a tower over in uh, Hillview area. It's a big tower and everything, but he don't seem to save us much in this area. I don't. I, we don't know what's wrong. You know, I haven't heard anybody or uh, tried to explain everything. And I got to get back to you, a couple of your callers there a while ago, and uh, a guy was uh, phoning in about uh, uh, the people who demand the radios and all this stuff. And uh, uh, you know, uh, if they haven't got their own radio VHF and things like that, if someone gets lost. You know, like there's nobody can pick up a phone and say, "That's all right." They just walked out there uh, into my house now, or something like that. Because uh, you, you can't get out on a cell phone. And there's a truck down the road who's uh, who's looking uh, for that person, and you can't get hold of them. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, I like I said, there's a, a lot of money gone into cell phones, and uh, I, I said to somebody uh, a couple of years ago, we. Uh, why don't the people all gang together? But certainly we know this is an addiction, phones. But uh, have a big thing up in Clownville and bring in a, a couple of hundred dollar drums and everybody fire their phones down and say, cut us off. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, yeah. but look at the money has gone into uh, my daughter and they got a cabin and uh, they're gone into uh, uh, getting stuff to try to get uh, internet and uh, same thing with a cell phone. And uh, they round this nice pond and place and can't even get out on a cell phone. Yeah, I understand, Cyril. So the, uh, the province put forward an RFP in sometime in the summer. I think it was in July. I don't know if there's a map about where they're going to try to expand or improve or enhance wireless coverage, but I'll try to find that maybe over the Christmas holidays, although I'm not really keen to do a whole lot of work over the holidays <laughs> this year. Cyril, i got to get to the news, but I appreciate your time, and I wish you and your family well over the holidays. Yes, same here, uh, Patty. hope you have a good Christmas day now. Thank you, yeah. Same Thank to you. you very much. My pleasure. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right, there we go. Let's take a break. For all of you in the queue, you stay right there. We'll be back after the newscast. Don't go away. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Welcome back to the program. Let's see how many we can get through before the end of the show. Let's go to line number six. Eugene, you're on the air. Uh, Eugene, is there something wrong with that pot, Dave? Eugene, you're on the air. 
I can't hear Eugene, so let's keep going. Let's go to line number five. Sean, you're on the air. Good morning, Sean, on line number five. Hello, Patty. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Go right ahead. Okay, Patty. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. You're good at your job, sir. I appreciate that, Sean, and Merry Christmas to you. Yes, sir. Patty, I'm calling regarding the uh, water exemption tax. My situation is I'm living in a house about 30, 31 years, and um, I rented for nine years, and then I took over my downstairs as my uh, rec room. There is still a working kitchen down there and a stove. However, I used to sign a piece of paper every year saying my apartment is not rented, so I would only have to pay one water tax. But now the city and all their great thinking uh, wants me, and I had my house totally rewired, so I had it rewired as a two apartment, two panels, but I have uh, the uh, breaker on the apartment turned off, and I have the stove unplugged and all that. But now they want the breaker removed from the apartment, access to the apartment, which I have because it's now my rec room, and they want the stove uh, kept off. Yep. Uh, I had one inspector here already who just, apparently i got to get two inspectors. The first one got to say, okay, you have access to your rec room now. Uh, second inspector is going to have to be the electric, electrical inspector. I'm going to have to pull a $50 permit uh, for electrical inspector after paying $10,000 for a total electrical upgrade about nine or ten years ago. Had to get somebody back here to okay that. Um, you know, it's kind of foolish when you start to think, who are the city uh, municipal councillors to tell me I can't have two stoves in my house? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So there's some 700 homeowners are in the same predicament as you. you got to haul the stove out. you got to b- remove the cable from the breaker. You got, there's some accommodation for egress. And if you don't do it, you got to pay two water taxes as opposed to the exemption you were given over the years. The city says by law they're not allowed to do it, but they were doing it for years, so I don't know if the law changed. Yeah, and Patty... Uh, can they tell me next year that I can have two fridges in my house? <laughs> I, I didn't mean to giggle, but uh, another good question. So it's either you do all those things and uh, and suffer the expense, reduce the resale value of your home, or you pay two $630 water taxes. It's a bit silly. It, it is foolish. And, Patty, I don't know, like, if someone, like, took a class action against the city, I don't know where they would stand. Would they have a chance, you know? Can they see, like, you know what? How much? How powerful are the city councillors? And I got to say one thing, Patty, just for a little laugh because it's Christmas time. Baz James is a good man. I like the statement he used to use. What a crowd he died for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the crowd he died for. Was that Baz or Ron Pumphrey used to say that? I thought it was Baz. You could be right. I don't even know. It could be wrong. But anyway, no, I just had to make a comment on that because I think it's foolishness. I think what they had in place worked fine. And if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right, because what people were testing virtually like an affidavit to say they were not renting the basement, and if they were found to be lying, then they'd be paying the water tax retro all the way back to when they got their first exemption. So it looked like there were some safeguards or guardrails in place. Sean, I appreciate the call this morning. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And Merry Christmas. And Patty, before I go, what do a water tax have to do? Like, uh, anyway, I'm just thinking, what do water tax have to do with... Uh, people living in your basement apartment anyway you know it's, it's totally shifting anyway i let you go i know you got other callers i appreciate it john take care merry right. christmas merry christmas to you bye all right before we get to the break let's go to auto on two uh auto you're on the air 
Old Freddy. Good morning. How are you, buddy? Top shelf. How about you? Doing a good job. Oh, number one, but Good man. Uh, didn't people in the tents out there? You still in the tents? There's still people down there, yeah. That's my understanding. Can welfare or what? I would imagine, yes. <clears throat> okay. What about them able body? Why don't they get a job, hey? Well, I don't know the circumstance of every single individual, <clears throat> pardon me, that's there. And I don't know, one fellow that called the show said that he's got a trade, but I think he's run up on some mental illness-related matters, if I remember correctly. So some of them might be suffering with severe addictions, but others who can and should be working, they should be. I mean, yes. there's programs out there to help them, like the Employment Stabilization Program. You know, a few bucks to buy, buy the work boots or some clothes that you might need, and then yeah. money coming in the door after six months, a year, and two years if you're still working. So I think most of us will agree that no, if you can work, you should work. But now they want the government to build them homes, eh? Will that be free for them or what? Well, there's really nothing necessarily that's free in this life. But yes, the people that are receiving support can indeed get some significant subsidy from the government. That's true. Now, now when I build my house, I cut my own lives. My brother and me saw them and we built our home, eh? No government. Subsidy or nothing like that, right? Uh, why are these people expecting to get all things from the government for nothing, eh? Yeah. I say, to have a damn, if they're here, about to go to work. That's work. you got to bring in foreigners to hold the positions, eh? Well, I think there's, it's hard to say that there's one size fits all to your question. Maybe some people that are. Uh, living off government support can and should be doing better for themselves but others there's real reasons why some people just simply cannot work whether it be medical or otherwise but uh, I understand where you're coming from Otto would you like to say anything else before I take my final break of the year yeah well, uh, Mr. Abbott uh, Mr. Highways hey? now I want to work with the Highways in the 70s we had three eight hour shifts seven days a week now he come on the morning and said they go to work at four o'clock in the morning right how come those two guys up near town going to work at six, no road standard, and no salt? How come that? I don't have an answer to that one. But we even. You should, as far as I'm you lose your job. Because someone's not doing their job, eh? There's like the other day, going up Cholaber Drive. We had a storm, eh? Now, they were supposed to be out and lay our salt on the pavement before the snow, eh? Now, when a flyer go through, she take a break to the pavement, not week to the weir's in, eh? Someone not doing their job. Lots of that going around, Otto. They're flagging me off to the break here. I'm late, but I appreciate the time, and take care of yourself. Merry Christmas. Well, I'm a first-time caller. Welcome. But I'll call you back after Christmas. Sounds right? good. I look forward to it. You have a good Christmas, buddy. You too, You're doing a good job, eh? Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. So it is our final break of the day, the week, the year. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's try six and Eugene one more time. Eugene, you're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. Uh, thank you to you and David and VOCM for taking my call. Merry Christmas to you all and to the general public out there. And thank you for letting me get on and voice my concern and the public's concerns uh, in the past year. 
Uh, on a sadder note, uh, uh, Patty, uh, I uh, got the word this morning that Linda Bishop passed away, and you know Linda was the chair of SOPAC, and uh, she was a part of the backbone of that uh, group for ever since we formed it back in 2009. And, uh, you know, she never did recover from her Moose Vehicle accident, and, uh, and uh, you know, and uh, sadly to say is that she's, she's passed away. And, uh, you know, uh, my thoughts are with her family, and with with everyone in New Flannel Labrador, because they've heard her voice on VOCM and a, a big concern trying to protect people and save people from having loose vehicle accidents. May you rest in peace, Linda. Uh, and uh, this is from Eugene. I heard the sad news, and I echo the sentiment. Uh, it's a sad loss, and uh, I want to send my condolences to her friends and family as well, Eugene. Yeah, it's so sad. She she have to keep it all together, and you know, uh, pray God it'll it'll stay going so packed, but it'll, it remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, thank you that the government is listening to her and, and, and us, the SOPEC, and, and uh, now there's more brush being cut. And I do believe, uh, Patty, it's because we're on VOCM, voicing our concerns with five people killed in the last few months and and, 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 and hundreds of accidents. Uh, you know, if we keep preaching uh, and now the minister's saying they're going to do more brush cutting, I see outside of Lewis for another brush cutting, uh, just did some brush cutting. And that's all because I do believe of groups like SOPEC, like Linda Bishop, and like us, preaching more. More has to be done. We have to save people's lives and, uh, instead of what's happening. And, uh, Patty, thank you to all you does. I mean, you're excellent in what you does. And, David, the producer, have a wonderful Christmas and a happy New Year. Thank you. The same to you, Gene. Take good care. Cheers, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Dave, there's a lot there. What would you like me to attempt next? Okay, so let's go to line number 10 and say good morning to the PC member for Conception Bay East Bell Island, albeit retiring uh, very shortly, I think at the end of the year. That's David Brazel. And good morning, David. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. And, uh, you know, thank you and David for this uh, opportunity. You know, I want to call in. going to be my last, uh, you know, opportunity as the MHA for Conception Bay East Bell Island and a member of the uh, House of Assembly to thank everybody for their support, uh, to thank the media, particularly VOCM and yourself, for the many opportunities to get on and voice my concerns or or inform my constituents or people of the province about what's, uh, what's happening. Uh, and, you know, acknowledge uh, that we've come a long way in this province, but we have a lot of challenges here, and hopefully uh, the small part that I played had some impact on some people's lives, and you know that I'll still be around to be an advocate for whatever uh, the issues are of today, and and uh, hopefully we can start rectifying some of the issues here, and obviously there's a by-election coming up. I'll be, you know, entrenched in working with uh, Tina Neary and the candidate there uh, to make sure that uh, it stays as a PCC and that the district is properly represented. Wish we had more time for a post-mortem of your political career to grill you for one last time for my own personal amusement. Uh, Dave, it's good to have you on the show. I'll let you offer some uh, season's greetings to the folks. I'm going to squeeze a few more on before we run out of time. Yeah, well, no, Neil, I want to thank everybody. You know, I'm again, as the by-election starts with Tina, I'm going to be out around. But I want to say to everybody in Newfoundland and Labrador, a heartfelt thank you, but a Merry Christmas and a happy and prosperous New Year. And the, there's a bright future in Newfoundland and Labrador. We just need to put it on the right path. And uh, I know I'll do my part, and Tony Wakeham and the PC Party will do it. So happy uh, holidays to everybody. Merry Christmas to you and all the family of VOCM. Have a great one, my friend. Uh, thanks, and the same to you, David. Take good care. Take care. All right, bye-bye. I wish we had more time for that one, but let's keep rolling. Line number eight, Connie Pike, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. I wanted to give you our December numbers for crimes against children. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. My sister Debbie wouldn't appreciate that. Um, 
there were 326 cases in December in the 10 provincial courts, and that's only for three weeks because the courts are closed uh, basically after the 20th. So 326 cases, 54 offenders, and I really worry about these numbers. They seem to be climbing, actually, and that didn't take into account the one from Mount Pearl the other day. Uh, I just wanted to remind people, because I really appreciated Audrey's call this morning um, with her kindness message. That was very important. And next week and the week after, when the children are out of school, I found during my policing days that the numbers of calls for domestics in homes went up because children were basically witnessing and they were the callers. So I'd just like to remind everybody something Christy said this morning, that this stuff doesn't stop during Christmas. So please, uh, everyone, just be mindful of what goes on in your home and other people's homes. I appreciate the numbers, Connie, as upsetting as they are. And sorry we have to keep this brief today, but we'll speak again in the new year. Okay, thank you for all you do, Patty, and Merry Christmas to you and your team. You're like rock stars, like Christy said. I appreciate this, Connie. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Let's go. Line number three. Durham, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Uh, From uh, stormy central Newfoundland, a lot of people out for power out here. Uh, I know you're very short on time. Uh, just wanted to call and wish uh, all of my friends and family and all of my co-workers and people that I've known for years through municipal business uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and this is a time of the year to reflect and uh, I reflect that it's almost nine years ago and they're talking about shaking hands at the end of uh, sports events and that type of thing almost nine years ago when I, I beat you in the telly 10 and, and <laughs> you and I shook hands after and I didn't have any racket or anything so that was kind of good I was too tired <laughs> and uh, I just think that we're living in one of the best provinces in the, in Canada and one of the best places in the world. And I'd like for VRCM to consider maybe uh, going back to something like they had. They used to have a good news review on for uh, many years. And uh, maybe one somehow or another, one of your shows every every week could be a good news show. And, uh, you know, just all of the negative stories get on and some of the positive make the news, but uh, might be an opportunity to give everybody a break from from some of the negativity because there are some fantastic things happening in this province. And I would also like to close by saying there's only a day or so left on the kettles. So if you're already given, maybe you can drop another fire spot in as you're passing by a kettle and uh, help out the cars that's going on all across our province. And uh, happy Merry Christmas to you and uh, yours and all of the UCM staff. Diane and I want to pass it along and look forward to seeing you in the new year. Same to you, Mr. Finn. Appreciate the time. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas. Bye, Bye-bye. Here we go. A couple of go over time here. Line four. Stella, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Merry Christmas to you and everyone at VOCM. Same to you. I know I only have a short few seconds to to throw out a bouquet, but it's a very important bouquet to throw out to our healthcare workers. I recently was hospitalized for for a couple of weeks, having an emergency surgery done, and I can't at St. Clair's, and I cannot say enough about the entire staff. They were fantastic. I was 
treated like I was royalty, and they took good care of me, and they literally saved my life. I'm really pleased to hear that. And how are you feeling, Stella? I'm recovering well. I'm I'm getting a little better every day, and uh, just blessed to be able to be here today to talk about it. Well, I'm glad you are able to speak with us today. I'm glad you got the care that you deserve while you were in the hospital. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and hope your recovery uh, goes well. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas to everyone. Same to you, Stella. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Final word of 2023 goes my old buddy, Woody French on one. Woody, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Uh, I'll be fast about it. Merry Christmas to you and yours and everybody at VOCM for the this very fine job or excellent job that you guys do. And I just want to say a quick um, Merry Christmas to those fit, uh, to those members of our Canadian Armed Forces that are serving, uh, some of them that are in areas that they can't get home for Christmas. And uh, certainly want to thank them for their service. Um, uh, Merry Christmas to all my peacekeepers, friends, and um, um, members of Branch 50, the Royal Canadian Legion, and all veterans out there. And um, to the traveling public, stay safe. To those that are flying, remember you have uh, rights under the Airline Airline Passengers Bill of Rights. Uh, Exercise your rights. Know your rights. And... um, safe travels to everybody that are on the road, in the air, or at sea this time of the year. Here, here. I appreciate the time, Woody. I wish you and your family well over the holidays. Merry Christmas. Same to you and yours, Patty. Thanks, Bye-bye. Woody. Bye-bye. All right, there we go. A little overtime, but so be it. Uh, very quickly, I must, on behalf of myself and Dave, big thanks to all hands. Hopefully you have the opportunity to have a peaceful, restful, mindful holiday season. So, from my family to your family, Merry Christmas. All the best in 2024 and we'll pick up that conversation on Tuesday, January the 2nd. Take good care. Be kind to each other. Bye-bye.